fights. We roam around the forest looking for fights. We're men. We're men in tights. We run from the rich and give to the poor. That's right. We may look like sissies, but that's what you say or else we'll put out your lights. We're men. We're men in tights. Always on guard, defending the people's rights. Hello, and welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast, where we talk about how medieval and medieval-inspired movies, TV, and books depict the medieval world. What do they get right? What do they get wrong? And what do they tell us about how modern people see the medieval past? I'm Sarah Ift Decker, a medieval historian, and today I'm here with returning guest Jessica Blumke grafe to talk about 1993 medieval comedy, Robin Hood, Men in Tights. Hi, Jessica. Hi, Sarah. I am so excited to be here. When you messaged me about doing this movie, I was in a grocery store and I literally (laughs) out loud was like, yes, (laughs) out loud to myself. I forgot how to be in public. Does anybody still know how to be in public? (laughs) No, nobody does. I don't know if I know how to hold a conversation with a stranger anymore. I'm very nervous. Yeah. (laughs) So do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and about why you were so excited to talk about this movie? I would love to. It's my favorite topic. Um, <laughs> I'm a podcaster. Um, I'm with, I'm a co-host of the Friendly Atheist podcast, and uh, Sarah and I are internet friends. And Robin Hood, Men in Tights, it came out in 1993, so I was about eight. Mm-hmm. Like, Mel Brooks in general was very formulative for me, but mm-hmm. this movie is one that I know by heart. I know every beat of it. It was something my brother and I watched all the time as a kid. And then for a while in like maybe the late 90s, early aughts, it was on uh, Comedy Central all the time. Right. So in the day, you know, the days before streaming, you just mm-hmm. turned on TV and whatever the fuck yep. was on. Oh, I can swear, right? Yeah. Yes, whatever the fuck absolutely. was on was was what you had to watch. So I've just seen it so many times. I adore Mel Brooks. This this movie, Young Frankenstein, are mm-hmm. Blazing Saddles to a lesser extent, but definitely these two are like, to me, very formulative for like what I think is funny. I think it does dumb comedy and kind of smart comedy in a way that I love. It's just some, it is, it's very much like my comfort place movie Mm -hmm. and it's something I don't watch very often. And I like clue is another one of those that I just watch it and I know all the words and it just feels like something familiar. Um, So not only did I, I did a lot of homework for you. I was very excited to have a task. So I not only watched this movie, I watched Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and just now (laughs) finished watching Men in Tights with Mel Brooks, uh, Mel Brooks director commentary. Oh, fun. And one funny thing about this is I've seen, I said, like I said, I've seen this movie a zillion times. Mm -hmm. I only saw Prince of Thieves the first time, maybe six or seven years ago and then the second time I saw it was this week so because of the age that I saw it and because of like my lack of knowledge there are many jokes and pieces of satire in this movie that I know the satire better than I know like the thing it's right so like I didn't realize until literally yesterday that the guy was supposed to be Clint Eastwood the one like silent like, I just, it's just, they go yeah. over your head because yeah, yeah. you don't, you're not critical about it. Right. Kitty. So yeah, I'm just super stoked to be here. And genuinely, the director commentary with Mel Brooks was some of the most charming shit I have ever heard in my entire life. Because it's just him doing like one running dialogue. And he remembers every person, every cast oh, member, wow. every crew member. He remembers cool. what jokes were his and what jokes Aww. were improvised and gives the actor credit. Like, 
it he's somebody who yeah he's somebody who loves what he does and i think that comes through in this movie yeah i also had i watched this movie a lot and uh, history of the world part one was my other Mm -hmm. big mel brooks one as a child and i also had the comedy central experience that like very specifically i remember like my mom would have meetings and my dad and i would watch whatever was on comedy central that night yes yes <laughs> yep channel 42 where i grew up was comedy central it was all i watched yeah so yeah I, there's like a lot of co- of like movies that i watched on comedy central over and over again for years mm. I, and I want to say it now because I'll forget by the time we get to it. Mel Brooks, during the commentary, at the end when they're doing the wedding thing, mm-hmm. he says, the wedding march wasn't written for like another 300 years, but we just grabbed it anyway. <laughs> like, he, I think, actually did legit research to find out like, if things... Yeah. I, whether or not he always like was true to it or used right. it. I think the guy did his... And he, that's the thing. Is he loves Robin Hood. And yeah. I, I think his best spoofs are genres that he loves i think in right. general good good spoofs are best done with affection right with a genuine think, appreciation for the genre yeah. or the material yeah and i think that's why this is so great young frankenstein is so great and a lot of people don't think Spaceballs is mm-hmm. as good i again grew up with it so i can't be objective about it yeah but i don't think he loves star wars or the star wars right. universe but it felt like the next logical step yeah and then that's also why, you know, in terms of not Mel Brooks, but in terms of other medieval films, I think that's why Monty Python and the Holy Grail is one of the like very few films that pretty consistently most medievalists tend to like. And it's because mm-hmm. they actually seem to be interested in the material. And one of the Python guys actually like became a medievalist. Really? Yeah. Which one? Terry Jones. Really? Yeah. I he has a perfectly like well regarded book about Chaucer. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't come on to Monty Python and the Holy Grail until I was in high school and mm-hmm. my cool friend introduced it to me. And then I got it on DVD and she watched it. She's like, this is incredible. Because she had watched like a shitty taped over VHS right? of it. Yeah, I have very fond memories of that movie as well. That was that was also one that I watched a lot as a kid. My dad was a big Monty Python fan. Oh, totally. Yeah, my parents were not. And so I had to, like, find that shit. Like, this is their idea of comedy. Very broad. <laughs> very, yeah. like, hey, somebody farted. It's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> so this is starring Carrie Elvis as Robin Hood, who is so much better than Kevin Costner. <laughs> oh, my like, God. I don't want to side rail this because you already did an episode on Prince's Thieves. Mm-hmm. But Jesus fucking Christ. Like, Carrie Elwes could have done both movies successfully, yes. I believe. Yes. I think he has the chops to pull either off. Yeah. And, like, he's genuinely a very good swordsman from what I can tell. And, like, there's a huh. shot that he um, fires a bow and arrow at a target. And, like, that's just a thing he did on the day. Like, oh, he wow. genuinely is an... Ex- yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, at the... During the training sequence... Mm-hmm when they're showing them how to fire a bow and arrow yeah. and he just stands there like pick, like it's you know a 30 second shot where he stands there picks it up shoots a bullseye and that was him oh wow and it was just that like a thing he learned how to do awesome. i also i'm so sorry i did watch two behind the scenes documentary <laughs> so my husband for, um for his birthday a couple of years ago got the entire mel brooks collection on blu-ray mm-hmm. so we watched we watched it the other night and then there's like an HBO behind the scenes thing and then another behind the scenes thing that they recycle a lot of footage. 
But apparently, so I'm going to give you some cool insights from that. Yeah. But apparently, the cast on the weekends would practice their swordsmanship, their horseback riding, oh, that's so cool. their bow and arrow. Like they all, t- it's. I think one of the reasons that I believe this movie is successful is that it is the important parts are taken seriously. The right. comedy is it is what it is. But like the stunts aren't bad. The sword yeah. fighting is pretty good. Like it, you know, I I think that's what makes it a successful movie because it. It takes itself seriously enough to right. give us a genuine Robin Hood story while still making fun of it. I feel like I have this dream movie in my head, which is Carrie Elwes as Robin Hood, but then actually, all right, Roger Rees is totally fine, but my dream cast is Carrie Elwes and Alan Rickman. And I think the two of them playing off each other would have been so brilliant. I don't know if we text about that or posted. I, don't, I saw that you had said that. And it's really kind of thrown me into a tailspin because I love Roger Rees so much. But also you might be right. That could be extremely funny. Yeah. Because it's also, it's weird in Prince of Thieves. And, uh, you know, I, I just did an episode about this. So I shouldn't talk about this too much. But he he seems like he's in a different movie from everybody else because he's playing it much more comedically. Yeah. Alan Rickman has that quality. He has that presence on screen that makes it even funnier. Like, my first introduction to Alan Rickman was Dogma, speaking of movies I watched too many times. But, like, that sort of dry British Mm -hmm. deal. Yeah, I think that would have worked really well because he has great timing and he's really physically very funny. Yeah, so I think that would have been great. But Roger Rees is Mm -hmm. also great, as is Richard Lewis as Prince John. Mm -hmm. We also have Amy Yesbeck as Maid Marian, Dave Chappelle Mm -hmm. as a Chew. Very funny. Very funny. Amy Yesbeck was also, she has a couple moments Mm -hmm. because she's a favorite of Mel Brooks. She was also, (laughs) she was in Robin Hood, not Robin Hood, um, Dracula Dead and Loving It. Oh, okay. is it's well regarded as his worst movie again i saw it at an age that i was like no no no, this is what comedy is (laughs) but she was in that as well and basically played the same character she played mina i think Mm -hmm. anyway okay yeah that makes sense (laughs) i'm gonna be so boring during this (laughs) (laughs) because if i know something i have to tell everyone what good is that knowledge just in my stupid exactly i mean that's why i have this podcast (laughs) yeah (laughs) It's yeah. so I can be insufferable about movies set in the Middle Ages, but like in public. Yeah, I guess all podcasts are a pretty narcissistic endeavor when right? you really think about right? it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. We also have, yeah, Isaac Hayes as a sneeze. So funny. Tracy Ullman as Latrine. And she is good. Perfection. Tracy yeah. Ullman is perfection. Yeah, and I actually think it's done perfectly because... I feel like the witch in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves was actually really an off note to me that I was like, what the fuck is this character? Yeah, I did not realize till toward the end that, so in Prince of Thieves, they accused Robin Hood's father of being a devil worshiper. And then right, it turns which is out, just this bizarre, like, so it, it has a lot of like weird subplots that go nowhere. Yeah, <laughs> they don't seem that important. But then you realize that Sheriff of, Nottingham. Oh, I'm going to say Nottingham when I <laughs> when I'm trying to do the right thing. Shared of Nottingham has like an altar to Satan, right? I'm and actually just, very like, excited which... to listen to your Prince of Thieves episode. I think I like forgot to mention that because there was just like so many things in that movie was like two and a half fucking hours, and it was dense of bad. Yeah. Like it was a lot going on. Yeah, and I was like struggling to get that episode yeah. to not be longer than the movie because I was like <laughs> I can't release a over two and a half hour episode. I don't remember if I succeeded. I don't know. Uh, We'll see. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay. 
We also have Mel Brooks as Rabbi Tuckman, who is our Friar Tuck character, who I have an immense amount of thoughts about. Oh, good, because I really want to hear them, because yes. um, Mel Brooks talked about it. This movie, as are many of Mel Brooks' movies, are full of Jewish jokes that yes. I, as a, like, I was raised like a secular Catholic, if you want to call it that. It is very far out of, like, I would say that this is my first entrance, in, like, eight years old, my first entrance into, like, Judaism, which isn't yeah. a strong foothold, I'd say. <laughs> I mean, no, but it's not the worst either, I would argue. I'll take not the worst. Yeah. At this point. If this is the only thing somebody knew about Judaism, like, I don't know. I, I could think of worse, like, this is the only thing I know about Judaism. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. It, it works. I mean, really what I took away from it was, like, Fishnickered, which I just learned now is a thing Mel Brooks made up and is not a Yiddish term. Right. According to, according to the commentary. Right. And the thing with the curls. I didn't understand that joke. Did you get the Trafe comment? I only did because they pointed out they pointed it out in both little miniseries <laughs> and in the director commentary. Everybody wanted to make sure I, me, got that joke. <laughs> I laughed my ass so, yes. off at that joke as a <laughs> terrible Jew who eats a lot of pork. I was very oh, entertained. Sure. <laughs> okay. Oh, and Patrick Stewart. Yes, as King Richard, who uh, I will, we'll talk about this when we get there, but he is very much doing a, like, impression of Sean Connery Sean as King Connery, Richard. which King Richard would not have been Scottish, would he? Oh, no. He's, like, he's barely okay. even English, to be honest. Like, like <laughs> Richard the Lionheart spoke far better French than he did English, which is a thing that nobody ever talks about when they have traditional portrayals of King Richard. Interesting. I didn't know that. I mean, because that's only... Where, let's see, let me count in my head, like 130 years after the Norman Conquest and the English nobility is still really heavily French speaking. Mm-hmm. And Richard is actually raised largely and spends a lot of his life in one of his one of the family possessions in southern France. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice life. Right. Yeah. Because like he because he initially because he wasn't originally the oldest son. There was one who died before their father and never became king. And so uh, the idea was that that one was going to get England and that Richard was going to get the Aquitaine, which they had through his mother. Gotcha. I'm going to pretend I know what the Aquitaine is, um, just in the... It's like like Southern France. It's very nice. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. There's also something interesting about... This was my first... Like, this for me was so... It was my first peek into medieval anything, right? Like, I I guess maybe the other Robin Hood, the Fox (laughs) one with Disney, who... Like, we all had a crush on that fox, of right? Course, that wasn't yeah. just me. Of course. No, that was everybody. Those two things were like my first peak in the Middle Ages. And learning about the Crusades from this mm-hmm. versus re- learning what the Crusades actually were right? really gives the whole movie a different tinge. Oh, yes. We can get started with the uh, the enumeratio or recap section where uh, we'll actually be getting very into the Crusade stuff very quickly. But first, I want to note so that there's this house at the beginning. Which is uh-huh. not a medieval house, right? I mean, this house looks like it was built in, like, the 1950s. Did it have a thatched roof, at least? I think, yeah, I think it was, like, a 19, like, 50s U.S. house with a thatched roof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is obviously but a very, like, like, deliberate anachronism. Mm-hmm. And you see the house being set on fire, and then the locals are complaining that every time they make a Robin Hood movie, they burn our village down and yell, leave us alone, Mel Brooks. Very, very fun. Like, listen, breaking... I feel like as a kid, when a movie breaks the fourth Mm -hmm. wall, 
it's hysterically funny because you feel like you're being let into the joke Mm -hmm. which maybe is what I liked so much about this is I felt in on the jokes as a kid and I would argue the effects in this sequence are better than any of the effects in Prince of Thieves oh yeah that's totally fair yeah they they they're solid effects and it's also a really good send-up of the fact that there are so many village burnings in movies set in the Middle Ages, like way more yeah. than like villages are not burned down as often as you would think watching movies set in the Middle Ages. Like, because if you did, you would think like every fucking day somebody burned out a village and like that's not it the It sounds case. exhausting. Right? It's also like, who has time for this? And if you're... Nobody. It also doesn't make sense, right? Because if you're a lord and you want to like get taxes out of the people in a village... It's pretty counterproductive to burn it down. I did not think of that, but you're so right. (laughs) That is also like a trope that I think is interesting. I think it's interesting when people start to kind of grow out of it is that like he's a bad guy for the sake of being a bad guy. Right. So like it's such kid logic, right? Like he's the bad guy. So he's going to burn your village down because he's bad and he's like an agent of chaos or whatever. And when you realize as you get older, like, well, things are pretty complicated. Like, yes, there are, like, horrible villains. But in general, that's not how villainy and bad people work. It generally works for capitalism. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So you'd be like, oh, wow, if I burn down the village, what the fuck are they supposed to pay me with? (laughs) We meet Robin in the Crusades, and... Are we skipping the Robin Hood rap that you apparently didn't like, according to you? Oh, yes. That's right. I forgot. There is a rap. The rap is uh, extremely 90s. A very 90s. Also, it was written by Mel Brooks, if that helps put things in context. That like, does not context. surprise me. It feels like a rap that was written by a white Jewish man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I love this. I don't know why you don't think it holds up. <laughs> to me, things that are funny are... Guys doing hip hop dancing and then ballet dancing. That's okay, called that's humor. fair. That's fair. That's very funny to me. My husband's so. the rap in itself is like not Oh, not good. great. Oh. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, it's not good. But and also here's the thing that I'm gonna say a lot during this. There's an earnestness to Mel Brooks' work. Yeah. That I think makes it better than... And I think, like, Weird Al kind of falls into this category, too, of, like, he's doing something silly, but he's doing it very serious. Like, he's taking it very seriously and doing it very earnestly, and I think that works very well. And so I think this rap, if it was done with any irony, would have been horribly uncomfortable for me to watch, but because they did it with, like... They did it full out. Like, they didn't do it like it was a joke. It's earnest, and I think that's funny. (laughs) They are very serious about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yes, and I'm just going to go ahead and say I, I apologize to all listeners for the fact that my cat has decided that she is needy at this time and is going to yell just consistently. Yeah, it's. I think it's a nice touch. Yeah, right? <laughs> really, really makes the podcast. Thank you, Carmen, for your contributions. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so okay. Jerusalem. <laughs> Jerusalem, yes. I think the Crusades thing is so interesting because they, I believe Prince of Thieves is the first time they did this because it has nothing to do with the original Robin Hood legend. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. It's just something that makes sense based on the timing, right? Because that's 
part of like Richard is gone for a long time right at the beginning of his reign uh-huh. part of the reason for that is that he's on crusade the second part mm-hmm. of the reason for that is that on the way home from his crusade he gets kidnapped by some like fucking duke in Austria and then held hostage by him and the Holy Roman Emperor for like a couple of years oh my god where's that movie <laughs> right yeah they never have that movie and they always like they usually like ignore the fact that that's where Richard actually was that he wasn't like in Jerusalem until 1194 uh-huh. which is sure. like when he comes back but anyway so like it's something that basically because Robin Hood is it tends to be situated in this period where Richard is gone and John is in charge his brother and doing you know kind of a mess of it that mm-hmm. then they're like oh it makes sense for Robin Hood to be a crusader but mm-hmm. this is just like it's something that like I said I'm pretty sure Prince of Thieves invented but then it becomes, it's like here too, and it becomes like almost standard. Like you have it in that weird, terrible 2018 Robin Hood where the Crusades are like the war in Iraq. Oh my God. <laughs> I did go see that movie in theaters. I'm uh-huh. not going to lie about that. Because, I mean, it wasn't very good, but I enjoyed I it very much. I mm-hmm. love that kid. I find him very charming. Uh, Taram something? Edgerton. Oh, Taron Edgerton. 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 Yeah. Um, I find him very adorable. Tim Minchin was in it. Why? Anyway. (laughs) And what's his name? Ben Mendelsohn playing basically his exact character from Rogue One. (laughs) But in the Middle Ages. So good. So, so (laughs) good. I love that they took a tale as old as time and put zero new spin on it. Uh Uh It's it's time, I guess. So a Jerusalem prison. Oh, interesting fact. And this could be apocryphal. I will leave this up to you, Mayno. It's called Khalil Prison. And Khalil, I think, is Arabic for friendship or friend. But that is a thing I heard from a friend who owned an Arabian horse named Khalil. And that's what she told me. And I also learned she's an anti-vaxxer. So now I'm realizing maybe Hmm. that's not true. I'm going to look it up. Yeah, I do not know offhand because I am starting Arabic, but my Arabic is very bad. (laughs) The prison concierge, however, is named Falafel. Oh, it does mean mean friend. Good job, Erin, that girl I knew and don't talk to anymore because she's an (laughs) anti-vaxxer. Yeah. So the prison Ooh. was called Friend Prison. A prison so, which is very funny is falafel. falafel. Woof. Yeah. Woof a woof. There are some things that actually hold up very well, and some things that deeply don't hold up. Yeah. In a way, like in a way that saying a brown person's name was like a food item was like funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's not great and in general also so you know we we read a sneeze and a chew eventually and it's this whole thing of basically making fun of arabic names Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is not great and it's it's this very mel brooks thing right that he's like well Mm -hmm. i make fun of everybody and it was very 90s it is not Mm -hmm. something that really holds up in this the year 2021 yeah, 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 yeah. No, it definitely does. I'm, and I'm really wondering, as we go through, I'm really wondering how much I was looking at this with rose-colored glasses because I did think, like, yes, there's definitely some stuff that is, like, hashtag problematic. Yeah. But some of it, I'm like, it's still so funny, though, which right. makes me complicit. Like, a monster, it's fine. So there's definitely stuff that's problematic, but there's, like, moments of it that I that I like, and then it's also, like, I will say... The Jewish jokes still totally work because Mel Brooks is Jewish. Sure. And yes, so you can make this, jokes like, about yes, yourself. You can do that. Mel Brooks, you can yeah. do this. So yeah. I really like the Jewish jokes in this. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, just I think that's solid, fair. solid Jewish humor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, the like, haha, Arabic names are funny and hard to pronounce is not amazing. Yeah. It's not amazing, and it really is way too recent that we were all like, hey, maybe we should chill on those jokes. Right. (laughs) It was way too recently. Right. I mean, well, I mean, look at Bean Dad, who was like, it's the year 20, like, 14, and I'm going to say this really anti-Semitic thing and say it's a joke then. Uh Uh Uh-huh. It's it's called satire, Sarah. Uh Jeez. Uh Uh-huh. So, you know, it's not surprising that this was happening. And I also will say some of the things here and there that are slightly problematic are things also that I think are interesting in the context of Prince of Thieves. Because in Prince of Thieves, there is this like weird dynamic of like everybody being really racist and also Mm -hmm. of like having this really hard time with his name, which is not actually Azim, which is not actually that hard to pronounce. No. Oh, actually, I kind of forgot. Morgan Freeman was also very funny. And, yeah. Like, he's got chops, too. He, he doesn't yeah. do a ton of comedy. And it's so funny because we live in such a different world right now. Because, like, Aziz Ansari is considered, like, a pretty big star. And we're past the point right. of, like, well, I think we are. Of, like, mm-hmm. aha, the joke is that his name is not a white person name. Ha <laughs> ha. Like, right. And I think that, like, when we talk about representation matters, it's because of shit like that, because yeah. we don't want stupid jokes about a chew and a sneeze. Like, that's right. not great. <laughs> right. So a sneeze <sighs> is his cellmate, and the two of them together basically hatch an escape plan. Great strength of feet. Yeah. So good. So good. And for jaywalking, also very funny. I also liked that. And I also liked the bit that so they escape, right? And so you think, obviously, that he's going to come with him. But, mm-hmm. you know, because that's how it worked in Robin Hood in Prince of Thieves. Right. And then he says, no, it's I, I want you to look after my son, Achu, who is in England as an exchange student. Pretty good joke. I'm pretty sorry. Good joke. Pretty, pretty good joke. That one worked. Yeah. He swims to England. According to Mel Brooks, they had a boat set up for it and they couldn't, it wasn't safe. Like they couldn't rig it up correctly. Right. And so Mel Brooks literally went up to Carrie Ellis and was like, would you mind just jumping into the ocean and swimming? <laughs> and he was like, yes, absolutely. Apparently like Mel Brooks, here's the lovely thing about listening to the Mel Brooks commentary is like, A, he's still very proud of his work and mm-hmm. clearly enjoys it and enjoyed making it. And B, he he clearly works with people who he enjoys working with right and sings their praises like just like him talking about Carrie Alice the entire time is just like he's so proud of the work he did like I think he felt very lucky to get him because he's such he absolutely should have been Robin Hood right and he really is somebody who I always wonder why he didn't have more I don't know somebody has like a bigger career than he had I mean not that he didn't do anything but I mean between like this in um obviously Princess Bride I was so in love with him as a teenager and then tried to, yeah. like, you know, as you do as a teenager, he's like, okay, I'm going to watch every movie with Carrie mm-hmm. Elwes. And the first one I saw, he played, like, a pervy teacher or something like that. And I was like, oh, maybe, maybe this this genre is not for me. Yeah. He also plays a shitty teacher in Black Christmas. Black Christmas, yes. Which I watched so that good. Some, I, I loved it. My, uh, my husband, from my other podcast, my husband and I have been doing, not as much anymore, but for a while we did movie like this kind of thing but about movies about people being stuck together trapped Mm -hmm. together and somehow we got black christmas into that it was a little finagling on our part of what is considered (laughs) trapped together but we watched it and it's got like 4.3 out of 10 on imdb i loved i absolutely love that movie in terms of that genre of like 
kind of campy slasher, like yeah. gross humor. I thought it was great and like really fun and it, like I loved it and am actively mad at the patriarchy for making people yes. think it's a bad movie. And also it is as somebody who has spent essentially my entire adult life on college campuses in to some degree, it is the most <laughs> realistic movie I've ever seen. Right? Oh my god. <laughs> so many secret cults. Right. I mean, like, Boston like, University yeah. was crawling with them. <laughs> I mean, obviously, except for like the supernatural element, but all of this stuff about like the misogyny angle, I was like, yeah, I could absolutely see. Like, if they were just like murdering people, I was like, yeah, I could see a fraternity doing this. The same yeah, thing. yeah. No, absolutely. And the whole thing about there's wasn't there a whole subplot about there's no women on his core curriculum or something like yes, that? Yes. I like, was like, yeah, no, that yeah. seems, yeah, that seems yeah. right. Who among us? Who among us hasn't dealt with that? Yep. Also, Mel Brooks made a um made a Gertrude Stein joke. Aww. <laughs> he said, "Yeah, I don't know what he was talking about, but he a couple times like a joke would happen. He'd be like, I'm extremely embarrassed by that. Like I've lost sleep over this bad joke, but like whatever, it's in the movie. Like genuinely, he remembers every joke. And at one point, he's like, that was terrible, but a joke is a joke is a joke, as Gertrude Stein would say. And I was like, <laughs> all right, Mel Brooks. All right. <laughs> Anyway, sorry, so, I'm gonna, yes. like, drag us off track. I'm very sorry. So Robin arrives in England. There is a England, a Hollywood-style sign that says England as he arrives. Classic, classic comedy. Classic comedy. He jumps down and, like, kisses the sand at his feet, because unlike Anakin Skywalker, this dude loves him some sand. Loves sand. And I did not realize that was, like, a direct spoof off the Kevin Costner thing, which him oh, yeah. and his flat-ass American accent <laughs> saying how happy he is to be home in England was hysterically funny to me. Yes! I'm so glad <laughs> I made it to my home, England. It's like Hilaria Baldwin every time she goes to Mallorca. <laughs> oh, Hilaria Baldwin, thank you. It's only two weeks as we record this into 2021, and so, so much, much has happened. But I pray that we as a culture don't give up on Ilaria Baldwin. I know. Because the fact that she gave her kids Spanish names is fucking uh-huh. hysterical to me. Yes. The bit went so far. Yes. I also am especially entertained by Hilaria Baldwin because... I haven't spent a lot of time in Mallorca in particular, but Mallorca is actually part of Catalonia, which is my research area. And so I love the fact that, like, I don't think she knows that there would be a lot of people in Mallorca that would actually be, like, part Catalan-speaking. I don't think she knows about, like, assorted, like, Catalan customs that are not Spanish customs. I don't think she knows about the fact that, like, I think she had a whole, like, flamenco theme at her wedding, and a lot of Catalan people are, like, aggressively not into that because, like, that's a Castilian thing and we're not Castilian. Like, I don't think she knows wow. any of those things. That's so fun. Oh, my God. Like, I could so do a better good. job impersonating a person from Mallorca than... Genuinely, Hilary like, Holden. this is the kind of <laughs> low-stakes gossip that I'm right. always looking for. Because <laughs> nobody's getting hurt. Mm-hmm. Nobody's, like... It's just rich people doing stupid shit for no specific yeah. reason. And then we get to make fun of them. Like, yeah. nobody has gotten hurt. Nobody's lost their job. Mm-hmm. We're just going to make fun of this crazy rich woman. Right. For who is pretending white, to be Spanish for some reason. Who's white from Massachusetts, which is like double white. And <laughs> I also just love that at some point she was like, I was like explaining my like new name to my parents. So they couldn't understand me. And I was like, I feel so bad for this like white lady from Boston who has to Mm -hmm. read in a major publication that her daughter is telling the world that she does not understand the name Baldwin. (laughs) 
undignified. <laughs> it's so silly. But I love it. I absolutely oh. love it. And it's, especially just oh. like, it's not even like a good impersonation. It's because it's like, because it's, it's so unspecific, right? It's so like generic, like yeah. Spanish. And it reminds me of like a movie like um, Heartbreakers or something like that, where somebody does a foreign accent and then mm-hmm. somebody speaks to them in that right. language. That they're, which is one of my favorite bits is people getting caught doing uh-huh. like a Spanish accent and they don't speak Spanish. That's funny a hundred percent of the time for right. me. But, and glorious bastards, so good. Oh, so good. And <laughs> <laughs> and also I saw the cucumber video you know everyone knows the cucumber video right and I didn't realize that she was Alec Baldwin's wife until after I saw all Mm -hmm. those clips and so the funny just kept compounding and compounding for me because as much as I think Alec Baldwin is a genuinely good actor and comedian all signs say he's a big douchebag and probably like a genuinely bad person monsters in this house they've made for themselves this house of lies oh it's just so good it's just the kind of gossip i need and want exactly anyway sorry best part of the year he calls out my kingdom for a horse solid shakespeare Uh reference yep 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 and ends up with a horse that has a rent or rec sign on it and i wanted to ask you i felt bad because i felt like the horse didn't look so bad so what is your opinion on this on the quality of this horse it's a perfectly fine horse. Okay. It looks like, uh, it's not a Clydesdale, but it looks like it's in that sort of, like, because it's, I think it's bay, if I remember right, which Clydesdales are all bay, but uh, it looks more like a Shire to me, which they mm-hmm. tend to be either black or, or gray or white is, so I actually was spending a lot of time staring at the horse to try to figure out the breed. I do think it's probably a Clydesdale mix of some kind, and mm-hmm. it's 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 a, it's a perfectly fine, healthy horse. It has a winter coat on. I don't know, like that's okay. all I saw, and it held three grown men pretty like yeah, not comfortably, but like yeah. I mean, it's securely, a, and and it wasn't even. He's not even a particularly tall horse. Like Clydesdales are extremely tall. Mm-hmm. Like their their withers tend to be like around six feet tall. Like they're bonkers i have worked with horses since i was 10 and the first time i was like near a clydesdale i was scared isn't the right word but like so intimidated because they're just so fucking big Mm. and like all horses are irresponsibly big but clydesdales are enormous so anyway i actually thought about doing research on it but i thought i can limit my dorkiness to (laughs) to mel brooks for now So he gets his horse, and he then finds and rescues a chew. The, like, the comedy of this fight scene is, like, really solid, I, I think. Like, so good. There's a bit where he says, like, watch my back, and he's like, your back just got punched Your back times. got punched <laughs> twice. Yeah. Yes, it's good. Like, Dave Chappelle is genuinely very yeah. good. And I think that is a testament to Mel Brooks, who, like, let Dave Chappelle be Dave Chappelle. He didn't yeah. try to, like, craft him into, like, a Mel Brooksian character. Right. Very good, very funny, good bit. Stupid comedy, I'm in for it. Yeah. I like, I watch my back, your back got punched. Great, great joke. Platonic ideal of a joke. Yeah, and at some point, like, he's, like, you know, about to, like, shoot arrows, and the arrows, like, unfold into there being, like, mm-hmm. four, like, connected arrows at once, which I love because of the whole, like, trope of, like, I'm going to shoot four arrows at a time, which, like, I don't know. I've only done archery when I was, like, at camp when I was, like, 13. So- I, you know, I'm sure it's very hard, at least, to shoot four arrows at once. I don't know how feasible it is. It's certainly very difficult. If it's possible. Yeah. So this was the first time that Mel Brooks talked about one of his inventions. Mm -hmm. 
And he said, for movies like this, you always need to invent something new in weaponry. And uh-huh. so this was his, was like the six, six arrow thing. But also this made me realize that Mel Brooks, he calls ideas and improvs inventions. Aww, so when so somebody cute. like, Im- it's very charming. <laughs> so if somebody like improved a line on the day, that's how he's like, oh yeah, yeah, this is Carrie Elwes' invention, mm-hmm. and it's extru- and it just covers anything that was not in this script. It's very charming. Yeah. So they get to his castle and find that it's being pulled away as payment for back taxes, mm-hmm. and also find Blinken, who's described immediately as the family's loyal blind servant. Oh, I forgot there's another... I'm so sorry. I'm going to bring us back to the original rap. Oh, As okay. that rap is happening, Mel Brooks is just yelling like, we are getting information. This is how you tell a story. We are moving the story along. This is how you do it. Like, he was just bragging <laughs> about how he used a rap for exposition. And it was just like, this is exposition. We're telling a story. You get so much information. Here we go. And, like, was so proud of his, like, do exposition you? device. <laughs> but he was so genuinely, like... I, it's it's dense and it's entertaining and I got what I needed to across. It's very funny. Also, HMR Blockhead didn't get when I was eight because I right. didn't know what HMR Block was. Yep. It's a kind of like backwards satire things that yeah. like when I heard HR Block, I was like, oh, HMR Block. Oh, oh, okay. Here it is. Here. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, I was like 13 and I got that joke. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's also, like, there are things here and there that, like, so on the one hand, the fact that he is, like, immediately, like, hey, he's blind is a little weird. But on the other hand, it totally works for me after having just seen Prince of Thieves, where Uh 90% of, I think his name is Duncan, his dialogue is about, like, how I am blind. He loved talking about being blind. And it's so weird and, like, kind of ableist that it's, like... Okay, do you think the Blinken character is ableist? Like, yes? Yes. Like, technically, yes. I do think the character is ableist, and I think that there are a lot of ways in which, like, the humor is centered on him being blind, and that is not great. Mm -hmm. And I don't like it. On the other hand, the one thing I will say, Prince of Thieves is also extremely ableist in how it deals with Mm -hmm. Duncan and the fact that his entire character is based on the fact that he is blind, and that's, like, his only Mm -hmm. character trait, is that he's blind. So to some extent, kind of thinking of it as a mockery of that is interesting but on the other hand it is this problem of satire where like you essentially do the same thing as the thing that's ableist and i don't think that we can say like i don't think mel brooks was that worried about ableism i don't think that was even a thing like making a joke about a dude being blind was like not a thing he would have had he would have questioned when making this movie i mean it's it makes me feel crappy because it's definitely ableist but also like him telling the statue, you lost your arms in battle, but you got some nice boobs, makes me laugh funny. very hard. It is, it is funny. <laughs> what was that actor's name? I, I haven't really seen him in anything else. I um, don't oh, remember. He, ooh, he didn't make your uh No, I think I didn't. I never heard list. of him or seen him in anything, so I didn't write him down. <laughs> no, I hadn't either. Um, but Mel Brooks said he, he's, a stage, he's a stage actor. Oh, okay. And that's where Mel Brooks found him, which is probably why we haven't seen him in much. Right. And he does, you know, he does physical comedy very well. Very well. And the one of my favorite jokes of all time is when he yells a chew and he says, a Jew here was improvised by him. <laughs> he improvised that genius Really? Line. That's interesting because <laughs> that seems so classic Mel Brooks to me. Right? Right? Yeah. It, yes. I, I think he's just a guy who understands yeah. the comedy. Yeah. Oh god, the his whole family dying that monologue is always funny to it's me. It's so I'm, good. 
I know it by heart. My goldfish Goldie is the best line delivery in this movie. My goldfish Goldie? And that the goldfish the cat and then the cat just the goldfish. So fucking good. I also like that he gives him the medallion, which has the greatest treasure of all to land, and asks if he could keep it. Fucking great. Yes. So and good. I was actually going to say one more thing about the monologue with the goldfish is that oh. I don't know if Mel Brooks talked about this. I, in my head, have always assumed that it is a commentary on, are you familiar at all with the Jewish song that is sung for Passover, Chad Gadia, or One Little Goat? I am not. One Little Goat? Oh, that's adorable. Yeah, but it's very sad. Okay, it's so like, it's a song <laughs> that starts with like, there's this goat and my dad bought this goat, and then it goes through like, well, the goat got like eaten by the cat, and then the cat got eaten by the dog, and then there was a stick that beat the dog, and then a fire that burnt the stick, and on and on until you get to like, God. Is it like the reverse of the little old lady who swallowed a fly? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> and so you get to you get from goat to a go- to God. Yeah, so you get from goat to God. That's pretty fun. Like God kills the angel of death who killed a butcher who killed a anyway. It's... Interesting. Yeah. No, he did. Uh, Mel Brooks did not mention that. Ooh, I bet that's totally what that reference. Yeah. So in is. in my head, this is a Chad God yeah reference. Yeah, and it's like it's yeah, like a standard it. song that you would sing on Passover, basically at like the okay. bit at the end of the Seder, the ritual meal, when you like do a bunch of like random songs, some of which, including that one, have a questionable relationship to Passover. <laughs> I mean, sure. <laughs> yeah. We then have this kid, yeah, who runs up to Robin seeking help. The sheriff of Rottingham and his men all chase after him, and they're all just humming the fanfare. Apparently, I always thought they were playing kazoo's. <laughs> But it turns out, according to, to Mel, I'm so glad I watched his commentary. I feel like I'm given a lot of great insight. They're just holding their hands over their noses and making the trumpet noise. <laughs> allegedly, I don't know if this is true, but allegedly they did that live. Like, they did that as they were galloping. I don't know that's so true. Good. He made it sound like they just did it. And I hope that's true, but that's extremely funny. And just, like, yes. such a good, like, throwaway bit. Yes, and it's like, it's very good. It's also, it's very Monty Python. Like, it feels very reminiscent of, like, the coconut bit. The coconuts, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I will say Rottingham's, like, speech element played for laughs, also rather mm-hmm. ableist. Didn't occur to me until literally yesterday that that was super ableist. Yeah. I thought it was just a funny joke, and I was like, oh, no, this is problematic. Yeah, but Robin Ugh. does have this good, like, explanation for, like, he was like, well, I'm on crusade, and then says, unfortunately, my father couldn't get me into the National Guard. So which good. Which is so good, and especially, I feel like, in the 90s so good uh-huh yeah. i mean it feels very like 60s 70s sensibility yeah. but like great like it's yeah. I, like if he had just started singing fortunate son at that point mm-hmm. i would have been like yes like good <laughs> good good <laughs> and it's also you know it's only a few years for the bush administration mm-hmm very good, very good. Yeah, very solid. So Rottingham basically fails to draw his sword. Uh, Robin cuts his his stirrup so that he falls over very embarrassingly. I want, for the record, there is no thing on a horse that you can cut that your saddle will fall underneath the horse. Like, Good to know. There is, n- because the only thing that he could have done is cut the girth, which is the strap that, right. like, basically your main strap. If you cut that, you just fall off right, like there's nothing huh. and there's a lot of equipment like there's a lot of equipment to specifically i don't want to shock you but when you're horseback riding you want to kind of stay on the top that's just right. a rule of thumb from me to you so you there's know, so a you lot of equi- 
Right. <laughs> There's a lot of equipment in place to make sure, because the saddle can slip. Mm-hmm. It's a really common thing, especially for young, unbalanced riders. They constantly yeah. will, like, adjust their, their saddle weird. So you have, like, a breastplate, which goes around the front of the horse and between their legs mm-hmm. and connects to the girth. Some things, they might have even done it in this, it, like, goes over the tail of the horse, so, like, it holds it in place there. So that is very funny joke, not realistic, and bothered me for, like, 10 years because I wanted to know, like, what could have happened that made that result happen? And I feel like Nothing that's really common, answer. too. Like, I feel like I've seen a mm-hmm. lot of things of, like, people falling off a horse in that specific way and then getting, Because like, it's dragged. very funny. It is very funny, yeah. Or very, because, you know, dramatic if it's a serious yes. movie. Because I've also seen it in serious movies. Really? Yeah. Well, because the nature of horseback riding is that it's more about balance than anything. Mm-hmm. And so there's nothing if you, like, if your saddle did like which has happened to me like if you don't cinch up your girth enough it can slip to the side but that's more of like you didn't pull up your equipment correctly but as soon as you get to like the side of the horse you're just gonna fall off you're not like strapped into the saddle in any way you're just sitting there like so (laughs) so guys this movie isn't realistic also it's very obviously a fake horse when he's upside down it's very cute Mm. and Mel Brooks bragged about how realistic (laughs) it looked it was adorable I loved it yeah, very cute. Robin is very inspired by his successful defeat of Rottingham and saving of this kid who is uh, being mm-hmm. arrested for poaching. Has his whole plan for restoring justice, which is also going to include bringing back folk dancing and demanding affordable health care for <laughs> Saxons and Normans. And, and a four-day work week. Uh-huh, and it's Four-day great. work week is good. Yeah, it's great because we still don't have that stuff in America. <laughs> And like 30 years fa- later. Hear- yeah, hearing them say affordable health care in a ni- early 1990s movie like, is like, oh, God. oh, oh <laughs> this isn't new problem, huh? Right. It's like, oh, I bet they thought we'd have that by 2021. Nope. Psych. We meet Marion, who is bathing and singing about her longing for her true love, who will hold the key to her dot, dot, dot heart. Get it? Right. It's Get like it? vagina, but heart. Because she is wearing a chastity belt, which has a physical lock and key, which I will uh-huh. discuss. Yeah, I remember I did a semester in London when I was in college and we went to Scotland and we went to one of those like museums of torture or something like that. I think it was like part of a ghost tour in Edinburgh. I love that kind of shit. And it was only that I was 20 years old. So it was 15 years ago. Fuck, time is happening, huh? That was the first time I realized like, oh, chastity belts aren't like a funny thing of like, haha, like don't cheat on me when I'm away. It was a very real torture device for women and like fuck shit up. And it's also that like, they weren't actually like really used during the Middle Ages. Like a lot of the museum pieces are like maybe kind of like made up later. Really? So wait, were chastity belts not a thing? There is no evidence that they were a thing. I'm sorry, you just blew... (laughs) my mind because I thought I was like so well educated that I understood that chastity belts are no fucking joke they're just not real god damn it yeah so that's I will will talk about that in more detail later oh good okay I'm very excited to hear that Broomhilda listen Megan Kavanaugh is such a fucking she's good she like she's so funny she's very deadpan very deadpan apparently she wanted this this was like the part of her so she this is um quick shortly after A League of Their Own where she played Marla Hooch, um, which is one of my favorite. Like, my dog's name is Dottie Hinson, which is a Gene Davis mm-hmm. character. Like, we're big fans of that. She's so good in that movie. And then she really wanted this role. And she did the... <laughs> Do you watch 30 Rock? Yeah. Okay, you know the scene when uh, Jenna runs in dressed as Janis Joplin? Right, and, like, yeah. 
she basically did that. Like, she showed up to her audition. <laughs> That's so good. So she's wearing, like, a ton of padding under that. Yeah. Because, like, there are a lot of fat jokes, which aren't mm-hmm. great. But, like, her agent was like, whatever you do when you go in there, like, stuff clothes on your shirt. Like, oh, make yourself huh. look as big as you can. So she wore it literally, I don't know if it's that exact outfit, but something similar. Huh. And with, like, she did her hair with the braids on oh, top wow. of her head. And, like, just burst in and did the whole, like, in-character thing. So and good. And gave it to her right huh. away. Awesome. Um, and, she, like, this was her dream role, and I think she's so good at she's it. She's very I, good. adore Megan Kavanaugh. Adore her. No, she is fantastic. Broomhilda is hers, chaperoning her and acting as her maid servant. One of my favorite things of all time is when Rottingham tells John about... <laughs> Robin coming home. I so this is also my first introduction to Richard Lewis. So I oh, didn't know yeah. who he was. I well. didn't. Yeah, I'm like that. Just that sort of era of comedy was not really my forte. Yeah, for obvious reasons, it didn't appeal to me as an eight year old white girl. <laughs> but his monologue about like how good his day has been so far, uh-huh. <laughs> like I could get sleep, I could BM, and then. I do think, I don't know if Alan Rickman could have pulled this bit off of him just like That's bursting into right. laughter. It's so broad in a mm-hmm. way that I don't know Rickman can pull off, but he does it's it. It's very so, good. Like, he, this, this actor whose name I cannot remember. Roger Rees. Roger Rees. He does broad comedy as a very straight-laced character mm-hmm. in a genius way, I think. Yes. Like, because he ha- he sounds so posh. He seems so, like, together. He's very obsessed with his, his look. And this sort of broad, like, bursting into laughter, mm-hmm. like, making himself cry laugh was so funny to me. Yeah, especially that he's like, well, maybe if you, like, tell me, like, the, the bad news in a good way, it won't seem like such bad news. And then at the end, Ugh. he's like, that's terrible news. Why are you laughing? What the fuck is wrong? with you we're in quite a lot of trouble so funny <laughs> so good just so great. good just great john then goes to see latrine his Ugh. witch slash cook uh-huh used to be shithouse so good it's good when he's good he says latrine is such an unusual name why did your how did your family come by it oh they changed it in the ninth century uh-huh. oh they changed, changed it, it to, it to latrine. latrine used to be shithouse which to <laughs> me like Again, imagine me watching this at like eight or nine. Oh, yeah. A woman yelling used to be shithouse. Fucking classic Yeah, and she is great. Like, she's doing a great performance. And it's also, as I said, like, the witch is just so weird and incongruous and, like, doesn't Mm -hmm. feel right in a serious movie in Prince of Thieves. And feels very juvenile, I felt like, when I was watching it. Like, it feels like it's a 12-year-old girl being that weird witch. I don't know. Right. And then here, since everything is comedic, like, she just totally works, and it's a great performance. So good. Okay, I want to posit something. The reason that... Because I maintain that this is probably the biggest disparity between quality in a movie and a spoof of it. Like, Mm -hmm. Prince of Thieves is very bad. This, I think, is a very good, successful movie. I think everybody in this, in Robin Hood Men Tights, got what they were doing. Everybody was yes. on the same page. I think Mel Brooks gave a vision of what he mm-hmm. wanted it to be. I'm going to bookend almost everything with jokes, but it's going to be a real straight-ahead yeah. Robin Hood story 
Whereas I felt like I was watching six different movies when I was watching Prince of Thieves. Yeah, because that was actually my whole thing about Prince of Thieves. And I actually don't hate Prince of Thieves. I actually would say that I think Prince of Thieves is one of the better Robin Hood adaptations. Though that also, I think, might speak to the fact that I hate a lot of Robin Hood adaptations. Do not get me started on the Russell Crowe Robin Hood. My God, that fucking movie. I hate with a deep and abiding passion. Mikey and I did almost watch that after. Like, we're like, what if we just watch all the Robin Hood movies? I hate that movie so much. Tracy Ullman. Tracy Ullman. So he goes to talk to her and she has kind of like a prediction that he's in danger. Mm-hmm. And I love that it's like, you know, it's, he's like, are you sure? And he's like, if you want certainty, you should have hired a witch. I'm just your cook. Eat this. And gives Very him good. the like horrific like blood egg meal. With the eyeballs are choice on there. Yes. Apparently he improvised the line... It's like a Seder at Vincent Price's house. I and love they, that line. <laughs> and they re-shot the entire scene because Mel Brooks was so happy with that line. Like, he was like, nope, that's it. That's what we're doing now. So good. So, I love that line. The visceralness of that plate with the eyeballs and that, like, I just, it's just so visceral is the only thing. Like, I've just seen it so many times. Yeah. It also, especially. And eating it. And it also kind of does look like a Seder plate. Does it? I don't know anything well, about Seder. Like, in the you. sense that, like, I don't know, there's a lot of kind of, like, disparate things. I mean, because it's not a plate that you eat, right? Like, it's a plate that it's, like, a... Oh. Oh, yeah, like, you don't eat a Seder plate. It's... What? Or, like, okay, so it's, like, food items, but they're each, like, placed on the plate because they're symbolic. And at various points, you, like, pick up the things on the Seder plate, and you point to them, and you explain what their symbolic meaning is. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Oh, my God, we see the Sheriff Rodnam cutout. Great, yes. funny, hyster- Great. hysterically funny. I like that it changes expressions when John suggests that he is going to uh, try to like get him get drunk him. to get him to uh, have sex with Latrine. Very good. I do remember the first time I no, when I saw this when I was little, I was so appalled that he says, I can't imagine a handsome blade like the Sheriff of Rottingham would go for like a witch like you or whatever. And I'm like, that's rude, dude. Like It is. It's very rude. Like that is a thing that is problematic still, right? Is that like, there's a lot of jokes that are about like, wow, the worst thing that could happen to a man is to have to fuck a woman who's not conventionally attractive. Oh my God. Can you imagine anything worse? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Not great. Cause I feel like normally the joke there would be like, oh yeah, I'm sure you would love you like placating her and him uh-huh. just saying like, no, 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 ma'am, you're ugly. You can't. Right. <laughs> like absolutely not. He's not going to be into you. No, nope, nope, nope. Oh, very good. Okay. Yeah. This is going to be a three hour podcast and it's my fault. It is absolutely going to be. We're going to have I'm so fun sorry. with editing. <laughs> <laughs> Robin, Achu, and Blinken reach a bridge that is guarded by Little John, who insists that they'll have to fight if they are not willing to pay the toll. And I love, so the bridge is over this, like, tiny-ass creek. And at some point, Achu is, like, standing in it. And he's, like, jumping back and forth across the banks. And he's like, it's it's not the Mississippi. Like, you could ignore this bridge. so funny. (laughs) Mel Brooks saying, like, every Robin Hood movie, there has to be a bridge scene. So this is our bridge scene. Uh Uh-huh. God, it's so funny. Like, his whole approach to, like, I'm on the East Bank, I'm on the West Bank. (laughs) Like, him straddling that, and then coupled with the joke of, I can't swim when he falls in, and it's... Right. Like, the piece of physical comedy of him wiggling around in that creek. In, like, no water. And no water with Perry Elwes dragging him out. And he's like mostly on the ground and is like flipping his little feet in the water going, I can't, I can't swim. I can't swim. Like 
so fu- and again earnestly delivered uh-huh. like so funny it's like you saved um, my life the stick fighting that they keep breaking in half is fucking and they hysterical. have like and increasingly like like and like getting from like a very lengthy stick to an extremely uh-huh. tiny stick and robin wins by like just like wrapping him on the like on the nose basically with his stick so funny and mel brooks i don't i didn't write down the name i didn't write anything for this i'm sorry but uh mel brooks is very into complimenting his uh, his the composer for for the movie Mm. and he was so delighted because he's like every time the stick gets smaller the music gets higher and faster and it's just like it just lends this like cool texture to it that's like i think very good filmmaking we also meet will scarlet who is actually will scarlet o'hara oh man talk about formulative people in my young life (laughs) to this day my dream man is is will scarlet o'hara i think he's so hot i and you know what I'm embarrassed of a lot of crushes I had. I'm going to hang my hat on this one. Yeah, like, no. This is, I, yeah. I have good taste. He's a very attractive man. Um, apparently, he ran away with the circus when he was 12, and he's, mm-hmm. like, a very gifted, like, perform. Like, he's, he doesn't act much, which is, I think, why mm. we don't see him right. a lot after this. Don't worry, I've researched <laughs> why I haven't seen more, <laughs> more movies with so Will is, Scarlet. So is he actually doing something with the daggers? Like, does he, is that actually a skill that he has? No, that okay. was a rigged a rigged okay. thing. But he he is a horseback rider. He mm. is like a swordsman. Like he yeah, cool. has all of those kind of circusy type skills apparently. Right. And and Mel Brooks like liked his look and liked his jam, so so brought him on board. It was yeah. just so cute. We're from George. He's so cute. I'm so he's very sorry. Cute. Like he's so adorable, adorable yeah. and charming, and he mugs the camera so much. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, I see you, Will Scarlet. And it's also like, I think this is a Will Scarlet I want, who is just like very attractive. He's not my, mm-hmm. not that much of a character, and no. he's not Christian Slater or secretly Robin Hood's uh, estranged half brother, which oh, is a brother. subplot that I thought was unnecessary and that they could have cut and lost nothing, and except for 20 minutes of a movie, that was way too long. God, I like I did zone out a little bit and I zoned back into Kevin Costner saying I have a brother and I was like what the fuck are we doing? (laughs) And it's like my father who I didn't get along with because he was sleeping with a peasant woman and this is her son. It's like what? Who cares? Nobody cares. Uh, I think that's a problem is like they think all male characters need to have an interesting backstory whereas the female character is just appear fully grown more of a backstory than marion does like significantly yeah i yeah so i like here that you know he's just attractive and he's good at something and he doesn't yeah. really matter we're from georgia what uh-huh. part of georgia are you from south central uh-huh. incredible uh-huh. improvised by by uh oh. by what's his name line okay by dave chappelle chappelle god yeah. i could not come up with chappelle i don't know if i gave little john his proper credit oh do you know would you like to guess who was originally offered the role of little john hmm. now i'm trying to think like who was like large and in the 90s like arnold schwarzenegger you're actually closer than i would have guessed it was hulk hogan oh wow which i huh. even mel mel brooks in the commentary is like it's probably a good thing we he didn't agree to do this movie i don't think he would have been very good at it <laughs> Oh man! But this guy's hissed. Also, that's yeah, really he's very funny. So he's very funny. He's just in Mel Brooks towards the end. He was talking about like just sort of waxing philosophical about making movies, and he said to me, "The most important thing about a movie isn't how the frame, isn't how like everything looks, isn't how it sounds. To me, it's all about the script mm-hmm. and the cast." Yeah, and 
I think now that he says that, looking back through his kind of career, mm-hmm. he casts amazingly. Like, yeah. he always finds interesting characters mm-hmm. to do, like, interesting choices for his roles. And I think, like, this little group of boys is such a good testament of that. Yeah. Lincoln, Achu, Little John, Will Scarlet, and, um, and Robin Hood, the five of them as, like, a little boy group is... They have great they chemistry have, Yeah, they together. have really They're good chemistry. funny. Like, they seem to enjoy... Like, I, I think you can generally tell when people are, like, having fun making mm-hmm. a movie. And to me, this seems like a very fun movie to make. Yeah. So they go to a royal party. I like that there is a bike lock for the horses. Very funny. It's very good. As a horse person, a thing that makes me... Cr- like, there are certain things when you, uh, when you work in horses or probably machinery, there are certain instincts you get that, like, make mm-hmm. you recoil because you, it's been trained in your head. Not So one of them is if anybody wraps a rope around their hand, I, like... Because I used to teach children uh-huh. to work with horses. Oh, so it's like, don't when, do that. If the horse runs, it'll break your fucking hand. Li- exactly. And so it's one of those things that, like, literally, any, no matter what, like, one time I was in a rock climbing gym and somebody was doing that just, like, as they were talking. And I was like, actually, can you stop? It's, like, mm. genuinely making me... Because you have, like, when you work with kids and horses, you have to have, like, an eye for those things. Because, like, I don't know. I don't want a kid to die on my watch. But another one of those things that makes me really cringe is when they wrap the reins of the horse mm-hmm. around a thing because yeah. you're not you, you can't do that when the horse has bit in his mouth because if he spooks or something and backs off, you fuck up his entire jaw. Right. It's very, very, very dangerous to do that. And also a shorthand thing that everybody does in every movie because it's easier than like taking the bridle off and putting a halter on and wrap. Mm-hmm. Like I understand why it's an easy shorthand, but the horse next to the bike lock horse. And the other thing is you don't tie knots with horses. Like uh-huh. you, everything with a horse is quick release because if they panic, because horses are prey animals. So if they panic, they need right. to get the fuck out of there. And you'd rather they run off. Right. And you'd rather they run off off than that they like hurt themselves exactly so seeing the reins like literally like wrapped all the way around and the horse is like clearly has a bit in his mouth is just one of those things Mm -hmm. that me as like a horse dork makes me very uncomfortable and I like a lot of period movies and so I see a lot of like bad horsemanship and it makes me exhausting to be around So there is a mime, and I really appreciate the bit with the mime, right? That he's, like, doing his thing, and Rottingham just at some point is like, I'm going to fucking kill this mime. And I have so good. such a soft spot for this, especially because my mom, shout out to my mom, who does listen to this podcast. Hi! She hates mimes with a deep and abiding passion. Okay, here's the thing. I don't know that I've ever encountered a mime in real life, but I understand everybody hates mimes, including Mel Brooks, who mm-hmm. talked about how much he hates mimes <laughs> in the audio commentary. Why do people hate mimes so much? And and is this a thing that comes up? Okay, my new theory is that it's a Jewish thing. <laughs> I have no evidence for this beyond the fact that Mel Brooks apparently really hates mimes and the only person that I know who so deeply, intensely hates mimes is my mother. Oh, Jesus. You know a mime is a terrible thing to waste is another uh, <laughs> joke that Mel Brooks said he deeply... I think it was this one, and I could be wrong, but he said on his deathbed, this will be the joke I regret. I think it was oh, this one. Oh, I love it. Sure. It's so stupid. 
stupid, but I love it. So stupid. So, so stupid. Marion enters. Everybody aggressively hits on her. And so I, I mm. watch everything with the closed caption, with the closed captioning on it, because mm. I am secretly 95 years old. Oh, I usually do too. Yeah. And so that means that like you get like little things that you might have missed otherwise, including mm. what I would not have heard, which was somebody literally just saying as Marion walks into the room, lovely breasts. <laughs> Apparently there's another one and I missed it. Somebody also did like a Cockney rhyming slang. Yeah. Oh, it was Bridgerton. Nope, not Bridgerton. That's a show I was just talking about. Br- uh, Brighton, maybe? Something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's like nice Brighton. It's supposed to be Brighton City titties. Mm. <laughs> so he says nice Brightons. Or so- it, it might not be Brighton, but it starts with a B. Right, and okay. Like, uh, he, like he's not above just ogling women. Right. But the interesting thing about Mel Brooks is that he is, like, he definitely talks about, like, how gorgeous, what's her name is, I can't think of her name, all this stuff. But also, like, every guy, he's also, like, for Carrie Alwes, he's like, God, isn't he gorgeous? He's got such a great face. (laughs) Like, he is obsessed with people being, like, he literally at one point, he's like, put people on screen that are attractive. It's better. (laughs) It's like... I mean, it's kind of problematic. Right. And she is very pretty. Very she's pretty. Very, and, she, like, and she's very good. Mm-hmm. But yes, yeah, so there's just like her... this like, aggressive sexualization of her, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is also coming from Rottingham, who is into her. He offers her fruits, and then he's like, would you like a date? Because he he's like, oh, he'd have coconuts, bananas. How about next Thursday? <laughs> oh, God. boy, is that funny. Also, didn't know what dates were when I was eight, so I didn't get, you know when you're a kid? <laughs> oh, did you, like, you didn't know that they were also a fruit? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, didn't I'd never had <laughs> dates before. Hmm. And and so as a kid, I, I've thought and talked about this a lot. And I think Mel Brooks is so formulative to me because there are things like that. And another one that's coming up that I want to talk about as well of Mel Brooks is so, he's not subtle. No. And so, as, and I think this is why I liked him as a kid and why I continue to like these movies as an adult is that he delivered, like, I'm eight years old. I get that, do you want to date, how about next Thursday, is a joke. I get Mm -hmm. that it's a joke because I recognize the rhythm of it and like the setup punchline. Don't know why it's funny, but I laughed Mm -hmm. every time. Yeah. Because I under, like I took the cues of the filmmaker. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, ha, 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 classic date on Thursday, I guess. (laughs) Thursday, a funny day to have a date? I don't know. She's obviously not interested. She's more interested in Robin, who enters dramatically, carrying a wild boar that he has, of course, poached from the royal forest that he throws mm-hmm. down in front of John's plate, to which John just immediately goes, Trafe, which Very. I fucking adore. And you said that, that means, like, not... I mean, not, like, it's the uh, opposite of kosher, essentially. Okay. Yes. <laughs> That's good. It's yeah. good. Didn't get that until, again, they pointed it out in every single behind-the-scenes doc, because I think everyone's really tickled by that joke. Right. Yeah, no, it's a great joke, which I especially appreciate <sighs> as, like, I'm a who does not keep kosher, and I love mm-hmm. me some fucking ham. And <laughs> I just had a ham sandwich for lunch today. <laughs> I bought the pandemic pork pack, which was $28 for 11 pounds yeah. of ham. Have you been talking about your capital H ham on this podcast? Because I have heard I about Sarah's. I have heard about Sarah's quarantine ham journey for six <laughs> months, and it's the gift that keeps I got on this giving. ham ages ago, and I still have ham. I have not finished all the ham. I finished oh most of the ham. But I still have a little ham. I have considered buying that quarantine ham as well. And I haven't. It's good. Because it's a good I don't deal. think I would. I don't cook with pork very mm. much. Like, I want a pork chop or a pork yeah. tenderloin or bacon. Like, I don't need yeah. to fuck with, like, anything else. Right. If you're into, like, soups with ham hocks See, and stuff like not that, my, then it's a good. I'm not, 
I'm not a soup maker. Most of my soups Fair. are potato or cheese based. Fair. But yeah, so I've done a couple of serious ham hock soups. But yeah, so like I I have like, I really enjoy this ham. I once on a bus on Passover because I sort of make an effort to keep kosher for Passover. So like I don't eat bread basically. And so once on a bus on Passover going from DC to New York, I'm sitting on this bus eating a fucking ham and cheese sandwich on matzo. <laughs> and I got some looks. <laughs> Yeah, so, so uh, this movie. yeah, so Robin comes up. He's uh, says he's going to lead an out, uh, lead a revolt, and he has the importance mm-hmm. of his credentials that he's like, unlike some Robin Hoods, I can speak with an English accent. I obviously cannot speak with an English accent, and did not there. That was another joke that eight year old Jessica laughed at without understanding <laughs> what the joke was. Right. So under like, I, it wasn't until I saw Prince of Thieves that I got. Mm-hmm. Like the jokes, I think stand on. I obviously, I think they stand on their own because I didn't see Prince yeah. of Thieves until like five years ago. But so, like the things like that, I'm like, oh, 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 oh okay, okay, okay. And like, there, there's just some little things about like the way people act or walk or dress, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, this is literally just he's doing an Alan Rickman. Like, oh, I get what's going on. Right. Now. Oh, such a good, such a good scene. And yes. Mel Brooks could not stop talking about how handsome Carrie Ellis was in this scene. He's, he's like, very he handsome looks, and dashing oh, in this scene. so handsome. And like the way he like leans on the table, don't mind if I do. And Mel Brooks got it. He's like, yep, oh, yeah. yep, yep, this is and it. And Marion is, is extremely turned on. Yeah, as, as fair, she should be. Fair. Rottingham challenges Robin to a duel and Robin accepts. And so like he does a thing where he like hits him lightly with a glove and then Robin grabs a fucking like armored gauntlet and like slaps him across the face with that. Classic comedy. Um, can I tell you another thing that Mel Brooks does that is yes. really charming? First of all, I-, I cannot encourage people to watch this enough because it is like listening to like your fun uncle mm-hmm. explain Robin Hood to you as if it's your first time but he'll do things like hey watch this this is gonna happen and this is gonna and then he'll do very adorable things like oh we added that slap sound later he didn't really hit him that hard like like literally like he's talking to his children Aww. and it's he's so like it's, okay. like it's genuinely extremely endearing and I'm really glad I watched it today Aww. even though I had to push back our recording because I can't time shit that's fine. <laughs> Rottingham is like, it's such a duel, just you and me and my guards. And so, you know, Robin's Oh, you guards. and me and my guards is the best so joke when you're Very good. Oof, it's good. Yeah. Delivery's excellent. They're fighting. Eventually, Robin's friends break on in and join the fray. John is hiding mm-hmm. under the wild boar. At some point, mm-hmm. he also was like, check, table one, please. Very Classic good. Humor. Very good. <laughs> check, please, table one. I said that a lot as a child. Didn't know what it meant. Right? <laughs> There's Oof. a bit where Robin and Marion are hiding under a table and nearly kiss, but then mm. uh, do not because he has to run off and fight somebody. The whole dominoes thing, classic comedy. So good, yeah. That like he knocks over one night and they all fall over like dominoes. There's an exit sign, mm-hmm. which is, you know, a very like, like I'm actually all for very deliberate funny. anachronisms. I love deliberate uh-huh. anachronisms. Right. You know, the, the non-deliberate ones I have so many feelings about, but like I love a deliberate <laughs> anachronism. Oh boy. Yeah. Right rope is a great delivery. Ha <laughs> ha, right rope. It's just, mm-hmm. it's all good. And yeah. apparently, I guess they did most of that domino thing pretty practically. Um, uh-huh. And they would have, obviously, most of them were just like empty suits. But every few, they would have a real person to like make sure things were, like at corners, they would, right. it would be a real person in the suit to make sure it's pushing the right way. So that's fun. Classic comedy. Mm-hmm. Fun battle. 
Yeah. Robin blows that kiss to Marion and she catches it. Funny. Right. Just good. It's very funny. Good, good comedy. They all escape and Robin gathers in the forest with his trusty allies and uh, then they've uh, been asked to like gather some men together and he's kind of like, these are like, this is the, like gather the best you can find and then he kind of looks at him and he's like, huh, this is it, huh? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Guy's picking his nose. Very funny. Oh, Lundmere ears. So good. Uh-huh. Very good. Gross. Definitely gross. Uh, I have another fun behind the scenes story. Dom DeLuise, who we're going to see in a little bit, mm-hmm. his son in that scene, he's like one of the uh-huh. front guys. Okay. You can tell that he has kind of the same face as Dom DeLuise, but he is the one who threw his ear and it got caught in like whatever his quiver was or whatever right. he's like going across his chest. Right. And, he's like, um, and Mel Brooks thought it was so funny that he made sure that ear was there mm-hmm. every time. Like, it was an accident, and then every take, Mel Brooks is like, no, we're putting... No, we got, we like, got to put that ear there. That, that's canon now. <laughs> he gives his speech, which is apparently not inspiring. At some point, he's imitating Churchill, which is not a thing that I would have known in this year 2021 as an adult if it had not been for the closed captioning, which said in brackets, imitating Churchill. Yeah, actually, same thing Mel Brooks said. Oh, he's doing his Churchill here. And I'm like, oh, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> pretty funny i do like the these kind of goofs i think carrie Alois is especially gifted at is mm-hmm. like just sort of his rambling yeah. like up his own ass like the the four-day work week thing is one of those two of just yeah. like he's genuinely very very funny and like yeah. these little runs i think he does really well yeah a chew comes uh kind of takes over and sort of gets the crowd into it with a little little routine which um <laughs> mel Brooks described as dave chappelle doing imitation of fuck who played malcolm x denzel washington mm. he was doing an imitate so it's yeah dave chappelle doing an imitation of denzel washington doing his character of malcolm x which is very funny again eight years old did not know who malcolm x was right. i thought the glasses and his finger on his head was very funny mm-hmm. didn't know what that was a reference to <laughs> Yeah, no, pretty good. He gets everybody, they get everybody inspired. And tonight Robin then ends, uh, are you with us, yay or nay? At which point somebody in the crowd goes, which one means yes? I hate that one. I hate that joke so much. I don't know why. I hate it. It's so dumb. There's a very thin line between good dumb jokes and bad dumb jokes when it comes to me. And this one just like, it went too far. See, I kind of like that as a bad <laughs> dumb joke or like as like yeah, a like it. stupid joke, but like I, I'm mm-hmm. kind of, I kind of feeling it. Yeah. Oh, it's, I mean, it's charming. It's great. Yeah. Prepare for the training sequence is so funny. Uh-huh. Also, I love a training sequence. I love a training sequence, and I love that they all fucking suck, and they don't actually get better. They continue to fucking nope. suck, which I love, Correct. because that's, like, the trope, right? Is that, like, you have this, like, um, training montage, and then by mm-hmm. the end, everybody has gone in, like, what can't possibly have been more than, like, a week from the space mm-hmm. of atrocious to excellent at all combat. Well, what I think they did in a similar sense, I think the fact that they had their like uniforms laid out by like, mm-hmm. okay, collect your thing is really funny because that's never addressed in movies of like, how come all of y'all are like dressed yeah. the same all of a sudden? What's going on? But I love the idea. It's like a fucking like right. church bake sale of like going down and like going, grabbing all the things right. you need. Pick up your tights, pick up your, uh-huh. pick up your, uh, your quiver, your, your quiver. quiver, right. So but- 
Um, and then was the other word I was looking for in terms of what the <laughs> thing that you arch with is called. Uh. Uh-huh. And this is one of my favorite Cariola spits is this is when he fires the arrow and hits the bullseye. And like, that was just a thing Cariola could do nice. and did Good on job, the day, which is dope. Good job. I think that rundown of the archers all like fucking up their, like the guy trying to get the qui- his arrows from the wrong side of his quiver is mm-hmm. so fucking <laughs> funny to me. Like at some point, like such- somebody I think must like, like there was like somebody who just like yells in the background. It's just like, it's such a lowbrow humor in a way that really speaks to me. But like when I was a kid, the one guy who like pulls back his bow and it's made of rubber. So it like <laughs> folds in half fucking height of comedy yeah like it's such a good bit mm-hmm. so stupid. and i also love the bit like uh, that then they have like the uh the jousting bit and they're kind of going out uh for with the lances and they all like aggressively lose so... to the dummies and the <laughs> the line of maybe you should bring the dummies in battle and he does this great like <laughs> Hmm. Like, <laughs> such a good... And apparently there was a cutout scene where they did bring those dummies oh, into battle. that would have been so good. they didn't make the final cut. Yeah. And, like, Carol doesn't... He does a lot of good-to-camera bits mm-hmm. in this. Of just, like, the... <laughs> just a lot of that, which makes me laugh every time. Yeah. Oh, so good. So John and Rottingham are bemoaning the problem of Robin. And John is in the bath, and there's this bit where he's, like... Where uh, Rottingham is, like, you're, wasn't your mole on the other side? And he goes... I have a mole. I have a mole? Great line reading. <laughs> so good. So good. Rottingham tries to demonstrate a catapult as their possible secret weapon against Robin. A stealth catapult. A stealth catapult. <laughs> 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 like, I can do a stealth catapult. What and does that mean? <laughs> it means nothing. Like, like, they're giant, but they're not stealth. <laughs> like, they're giant siege warfare weapons. Like... <laughs> And oh, Robin, or uh, John, presses the wrong thing and launches Rottingham directly into Latrine's bed, answering her prayer. Like, Very and good. she's literally saying, like, oh, if you will bring my true love to me. And then he, like, drops down. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> this whole exchange between Rottingham and, and Latrine is completely impro- improvised by the two actors. Really? So the I, ha- the, I, have, I a have a headline was just... Was it's just very him, like, good. As was the, I was that close. I touched it. A hundred percent improvised. <laughs> and they're so good, and they're so funny. Like, and it is again this whole thing of like, wow, the worst thing that could happen to a man is having to fuck a woman who is not conventionally attractive. Yeah, but I mean, also, they're very like, good. listen, is it problematic that this woman is actively sexually assaulting a man? Also, yes. yes. Is it still funny to me? Yes. I can be a monster and a socially aware person. I can do both things. I contain multitudes. Yes. <sighs> okay. So back this, in... Okay. Ra- <laughs> Rabbi Tuckman. All right. Rabbi Tuckman, back in Sherwood Tell me Forest, some shit. shows up with his sacramental wine. Turns up with that mule. Yes, he turns up with the mule. He turns the sac with the uh, sacramental wine. We do start with our gauge it with our gay panic jokes where he's like, "Oh, Fagalus." No, is Fagalus something? Yes, that is, I believe, a real Yiddish term that means people who are thought to be gay. Oh, okay. I because Mikey and I were talking about that because. We like obviously we don't know, and especially today, I learned for Schnickered is just a thing Mel Brooks made up. So like, what the fuck do I know? But we were like, I think it actually means like girl, like essentially. If I'm remembering correctly, oh, I'm not a hundred percent. Yeah. According to a just quick cursory Google search, it literally means very young girl, and also means a man or right. a man who is or is thought to be homosexual. Yeah. So uh, hmm. it's it's kind of an inherently problematic term. 
Sure. And also the whole, like, bit of, like, they're wearing tights, so it's like, are you gay? And then they're like, we're not gay, mm-hmm. just marry. Which, yeah. I mean, it's not... Th- Listen, it's not the worst gay joke they could have made. <laughs> That's true. Like, that is true. They left a lot of problematic shit on the table. So, like, good for their restraint in the 1990s. Right. So it's, like, it's it's not amazing, but, yeah, it could have been worse. It was the 90s. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're also coming up to the other joke that I didn't get until I was an adult, but laughed at anyway, because he said he's talking about Marion and Bagel, which uh-huh. I don't know if Bagel is a real thing, but then he says, no. Loxley and Bagel can't miss. I, I got that joke when I was my 20. fucking ass off at that, and I laughed my fucking ass at I, that when I was a child, because I was a Jewish child who ate a fuck ton of bagels and lox. I, <laughs> I did not get that joke at all, but I, again, understood the rhythms that it was a joke and then I remember being like 20 and home from college and watching TV and it was on obviously because it was only ever on on Comedy Central and I was like oh Beagles and Lux oh (laughs) like I didn't get it until I was a full-on adult (laughs) oh god so yes it's like a Disney nine-year-old nine-year-old Jewish me did definitely get that joke Loxley and Miguel, absolutely good. So good. I laughed my ass off at Loxley and Miguel. The ladies who heart you stole, you prince of thieves, you. you get it, uh, Sarah? Get it? That's uh, the name of that other movie. <laughs> Boy. Okay. <laughs> that one was a little, like, eye-roll-inducing. Totally. But. Totally. And yet, happy to be it. Like, right? happy for it to be there. Rabbi Tuckman also announces that he is a moil. Which is a professional circumciser. Mm-hmm. And so they would initially say they do not know what a circumcision is. And he assures the men that ladies love it. And they're all mm-hmm. like, oh, that sounds great. Like, and then he uh, explains what it actually is, which includes a demo involving a mini guillotine and a carrot. Which several very good jokes are happening through here. One is the ladies love it. And I think Will Scarlet says, I'll take two, yes. which is great. <laughs> Also, this m- movie made me misunderstand what circumcision was, circumcision was for a long time. <laughs> I was going to say, it is not an accurate depiction of circumcision. I, and would, uh, this is what I was wondering, I wanted to ask you, would, two things, would these people have known what circumcision was in like 12th century yes, England? they absolutely That's what have. I thought. Because okay. Jesus was circumcised. There is a feast of the circumcision of Christ that they would have celebrated on January First, yeah, on New Year's Day, because New Year's Day is exactly eight days after Christmas, so that's the day when Jesus was circumcised. Oh, okay. Just the whole, I forgot, man, I already got one. That was Great. so good! And I was like, oh, yes, and it's an accurate joke, because he, because he's Muslim, and Muslims are also circumcised. Oh, funny! Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I, the, that's the sense in which I mentioned I have no idea if Dave Chappelle is circumcised or not. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> I was not making comments on Dave Chappelle's penis, but that he, no. the character is supposed to be Muslim, and Muslims are also circumcised for religious reasons. Right. The other thing I actually wanted to bring up before at one point they like throw produce at at robin hood during his bad speech or something i know the whole like throwing tomatoes at performers is more of like i think a vaudevillian thing yeah there wouldn't have been any historical accuracy to people like throwing things at the state i guess they did that at least in six 15th century england they yes. did that there... no they did that in shakespeare in love what the fuck do i know i don't know there is i believe some evidence that people would have uh, thrown things and it was specifically you could only throw very soft things at sure. people who were in the stocks 
So it wouldn't have been at performances. It would have specifically been this kind of additional tool to ritually humiliate people, but also it's something that's essentially a kind of way for the community to pass judgment. And there were, and potentially if it was somebody that like the community maybe disagreed about the judgment, they might like not throw things or they like throw flowers. Hmm. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, so it's as opposed to, it's like specifically for something that's like attended as an additional like punishment for criminal behavior of some Mm -hmm. kind for like various minor offenses for which you'd be like in the stocks for a day. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Apparently the only letter the only letter Mel Brooks got from Jewish people were who were unhappy with his portrayal was one he said he got one letter from a guy who was very like he was fine apparently fine with everything the thing that stuck in his craw was the curls being stuck to the hat like that that was bridged too far which is just for me just like a very like silly joke because obviously they're not I mean like like it's somebody's hair right like I I was not offended by it, but it is, in, it's incorrect. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I got. <laughs> so they all agreed they're going to get drunk. There's um, rocks. There's wine. trees. Yeah, it's like, There's we can boys. just bless all, there's stuff here. We can bless that. <laughs> Very cute. And he, uh, Mel in the commentary says, squirrels. It's spelled S-Q-V-R-I-L-S. <laughs> it's just a very good bit. It's a very good bit, although so... Okay, so the, the V thing. So the V thing is a very Roman thing. In most medieval scripts, what actually you would have at this point, U's, V's, I's, M's, and N's, are all just done by like a kind of series of lines that are <laughs> fucking indistinguishable from one another, especially if you have a scribe who has terrible careless handwriting, which all of my sources do. <laughs> I have terrible handwriting in the idea of like, an entire the, the understanding of an entire era of humanity hinging on my terrible handwriting is a lot of pressure <laughs> <laughs> like as a historian like the peril is real <laughs> Brottingham meets with Dom DeLuise's character who are like Jersey mafiosos mm-hmm. and also are dressed in what is clearly like Italian renaissance clothing which I find yes. entertaining yes Oh, I never noticed that, but you're 100% right. Yeah. And he's doing, obviously, a Marlon Brando mm-hmm. imitate. A lot of people doing imitations yeah. of other performances, which is great. I did not get the Marlon Brando reference for a very long time. Nor, as I said earlier, did I realize that the one guy is supposed to be a Clint Eastwood goon. Right. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> this is, like, to me, very good broad comedy. Yeah. Uh, like, the lizard stuff I don't love, but him talking about his buddy whose tongue got cut out uh-huh. because he went blah, 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 blah <laughs> to an enemy is so funny. And then him going, hey, come here, do this. He can't do it. It's so stupid and funny and cruel and just like his accessories for la- Oh, I yeah. love it. I love it. He's good. so funny in this. Yeah. He's Apparently, um, in this particular scene, everybody thought Dom DeLuise was so funny that they had to keep sending more and more people out of the room because nobody could keep a straight face, including <laughs> ultimately Mel Brooks had to be oh, removed so from the set because he couldn't <laughs> keep it together. He said he had to like watch on monitors in a different room oh, because it was so like everybody was just dying. They hatch this plot that one of his people, Enzo, I think, is going to assassinate Robin while he's in an archery competition that ultimately mm-hmm. will be won by his other dude, Luca, which I'm not actually sure why that part is necessary, but whatever. No, yeah, it, de- it definitely is not necessary, but the good, better, best delivery is great. The medals yeah. Yeah. show him your archery 
medals. <laughs> and he like breaks open his coat and like, oh, yeah. It's all wonderful. It's all so funny. Marion overhears and she and Broomhilda sneak out to warn Robin. We do have a not great fat joke here where so no, yeah, yeah. Marion like jumps onto her horse from the balcony. Lady. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then Broomhilda goes to do the same thing. The horse actually neighs like some like are you kidding me or something like that. Uh, yeah, listen. This is definitely problematic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely shitty fat humor, but that horse does some great acting. The horse it's a very it's, good horse well, performance. Head shake. Yeah, it's a good horse performance. But yeah, but then she like jumps down and the horse like moves and so she falls on the ground. A fall that like probably actually could kill a person or have them like mm-hmm. break bones, but it's mm-hmm. funny, I guess, because she's fat. So, yeah. Apparently, Megan Kavanaugh did the stunt of jumping off the balcony, like, into it. Really? Because Mel Brooks was, like, singing her praise. He's like, watch, 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 watch. It's very, I cannot recommend watching it because he loves this movie and knows it so well. So he's like, watch, 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 watch. Because when she jumps off, it's a very, like, big push off. Like, it's not like a slip. She genuinely, and he's like, she's so brave. She just jumped into that net. Like, his adoration for his cast and crew Mm -hmm. is very endearing. Yeah. And he also assured us, that that's not real cement. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Which obviously I, don't know who I figured th- for yeah. the actor, but... I don't know who he thinks the audience for this... By the way, did I mention this is the Laserdisc commentary that I'm listening to? So, like, mm. that's what it's labeled as. Like, even though we own the Blu-ray, it's Laserdisc commentary. Um, So... I don't know who he thinks is going to listen to this, but apparently it's children who don't understand how stunts work or right. something. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's very not cute. Great. It's like, no actors were harmed in the making of this movie. Mm-hmm, exactly. But yeah, but it is not a great joke. We then have the Men in Tight song, which I'm just so torn, right? Because it's still funny, but on the other hand, it's like an extended sung gay joke. Yes. I think that one of the problems with, like, obviously, yes, the gay panic joke, not good. One of the things I notice is something I've been dealing with personally recently of they make tights positive because they are they are making them inherently masculine and because they're masculine they're good so like to me there's more like as gay as like gay panicky as it is there's also an anti-feminist joke oh yeah I'm not crazy about however I think the reason this does still work is that it is done seriously they Mm -hmm. all did that dancing they all did those kick lines like it's not like um in blazing saddles Mm -hmm. when they're do you remember you've seen blazing saddles not many years at the end there's a whole thing where they interrupt like a bunch of men dancing Mm. in like a a, uh, like a hollywood soundstage yeah and it's a lot of just like silly goofy like limp-wristed choreography whereas this is like they very clearly practiced all of this and like did it and went to it it, like yeah i think the fact that they took the song and the routine seriously saves it for me but Mm -hmm. that you know as a straight person that's not my job to forgive them but that's my maybe not great read on it it is it's an excellent performance watching mm-hmm. this i mean i don't know like i i have weird feelings about it like and i'm like i'm biased like you know i'm like i identify as like queer woman but it's especially a kind of like weird anti like gay men joke so i also am not 100 mm-hmm. percent sure i feel qualified to comment on it yeah but it is weird because yeah it has this whole thing where like tights are traditionally like female and that's bad and we're saying we're not that and they're masculine or they're traditionally like feminine and therefore like if a man is wearing a thing 
anything that's feminine that's gay and that's also bad and we're not that right it's it's fraught I'll give you that. I I think as far as like gay panic jokes go, maybe this one is not as malicious as it could have been. Right. Right. Or I, or you know what? I could just be justifying a movie that I like that was made in 1993 or whatever and not being objective or a good ally about it. I don't think it is malicious exactly, but I do think it is ultimately a song. The point of which is that any being feminine is bad and being gay Mm -hmm. is less masculine than being straight. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is feminine and also bad. Right, like yeah. Else. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, there is an overall message, which is not no. good. Yeah, I mean, I think ob- I, ob- if I'm going to be, like, intellectually honest with you, like, yeah, it's not great, <laughs> but, like, of course. Like, I am obviously trying to justify a thing that I have loved my whole life. Yeah, which is fair. It's problematic, and, like, I acknowledge that it's not my best moment, but, like, I just need Mel Brooks to stay hmm. okay for a little while longer. At and, least. like, we all I get to have it. our problematic faves, right? Like, we all get to have Absolutely. things that we still like and like we can be critical about things and still enjoy them anyway and like you know I had fun listening to the song I think it is very problematic but like I yes and like but I don't I'm not like upset listening or you know like I still am having fun watching Mm -hmm. this movie yeah absolutely absolutely yeah yep okay so we solved that. Yeah. <laughs> Marion and Broomhilda arrive in the forest. We have another questionable fat joke as uh, mm-hmm. Broomhilda like jumps off to the horse, like onto little John, knocks him over. And then she's like, is there anything I can do for you? And he's like, you can get off me. Bit terrible fat joke. Terrible. And it makes it worse now that I realize that Megan Cavanaugh was like wearing a fat suit, basically. <laughs> like, right. That's even worse somehow. Yeah. So that is not good. And again, it is also this no. whole part of like that their relationship, like that is also that like their relationship certainly like could have been one worse, but we were like with him kind of like catching her as she jumps down, where like that could have been like a cute, like, oh, maybe this is a side romance, but it's not. Mm-hmm. And not that I think everybody has to be in a romantic relationship, but it's also like right. this woman is not conventionally attractive and therefore like nobody like not worthy of love or sex right exactly (laughs) absolutely we all know that (laughs) marion tells it robin about the plot and she's like they're going to lure you by uh, bring it by by inviting you to an archery contest he goes an archery contest (laughs) (laughs) which is a great line delivery funny (laughs) so funny yeah oh this song yes okay i'm reading your notes what happened in beowulf penis gag okay so like they have the like the whole like romantic song right and a big part of it is that they're behind this sheet and you see the various merry men watching from the other side of the sheet and there's this Mm -hmm. bit where like his sword is like rising up and like a penis like way Mm -hmm. something else that i covered recently ish is Robert Zemeckis's Beowulf movie from 2007. I fucking hate this movie. I remember when that came out because I was in an early British literature class mm. when it came out and my t- my professor was angry about it. Yes, with the like, <laughs> Grendel's mother is Angelina Jolie and so like she's hot but also like she's evil and the whole point of the movie is that like women are the worst because like they fuck you and make you do bad things by, tempt- by tempting you. Honestly... <laughs> That's one of those movies that I obviously obviously didn't see when it came out, despite the oh, fact yeah, that I was fine. like a lit major studying this. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm not even the right audience for this. My curiosity might get the better of me sooner or later. It's an experience. It, it, to, to borrow a term from a different podcast, is it like a bad, bad movie or a good, bad movie? 
I think it depends on context. Watching it alone, I felt it was a bad, bad movie. I think if you were watching mm-hmm. it with somebody, it could maybe shade over into good, bad. Yeah, there is definitely that line of movies yeah. that, like, I want to watch this with some friends over drinks. I do not yes. want to watch this alone in my basement. Yes. So me <laughs> watching this alone in my basement. Or not, I mean, not basement. <laughs> but anyway, so Beowulf, like, it's rated PG-13, right? So there's no male nudity. Mm. But there are, like, ex- Extended gags of things that are in front of Beowulf's penis. Oh, no. You say gags. This movie did not strike me as like a no, gag No, it's that it's movie. not a gag. It's that like it's serious. That's the problem with it, right? Is that it's a mul- is that there are multiple shops- shots where there's like a goblet or like a sword or something covering Beowulf's penis. That's like a Looney Tunes shtick. Yes, but it's taken entirely seriously. Oh my it's god. It's extremely weird. Do you see my face? This is the face yeah. of someone who's going to watch that movie tonight. They do their whole like thing with the extended pe- like sword penis joke, but it's actually a joke, and so I think it's kind of funny. As yeah, to oh, it, it works like, as a joke. Not actually intended as a joke. Another thing that confused me as an eight-year-old. Right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> And so nobody does their own singing in this in terms of like those big. That's not that shocking, I guess. No. And it's very obviously like they're not trying to match the voices. But the guy who did Carrie Alvis's voice for that that song, which apparently is like a 1920s standard, which I had never heard of. But like it's a real song. Good to know. I did not know that. The guy who sings for Carrie Alvis is the same guy who sings Springtime for Hitler in Germany. In oh, weird. the producers. Huh. Which, as soon as he said that in the commentary, it's like, oh, yeah, that's obviously the same voice. Right. But Mel Brooks worked with him during the producers, and then he did not work with him again until this movie. Huh. <laughs> like, he was just like, oh, remember that guy? He could sing. <laughs> Anyway. Yeah, so Marion explains that basically they can never have sex unless she Mm -hmm. were married or very much in love or if she were really cute. She was really cute. Oh, so good. Her delivery of that. Really cute. And I actually really like the kind of like casual, like weirdly almost sex positiveness of this. Right? That it's like, that like on the one hand, there's this whole like bit that it's like, oh, she can't have sex unless she's married. But then like she, in terms of her own individual desires, she's basically like, yeah, I mean, you know, this isn't my thing. Oh, that's an interesting reading that it's sex positive. Huh. I mean, I think I just read it as like the arbitrary nature of women's chastity and like when they decide women are okay to have sex or not. And there's obviously Hmm. other weird things going on, obviously, with like the chastity belt. But I do think that like it's interesting that like that's something that's being like policed by Broomhilda. And Marion is very much like essentially like it boils down to. Yeah, she's essentially boils down to basically like she's like oh, I can't have sex unless basically I decide that I want to. Right, which yes. is Which is exactly the, how yeah, it should be. Yeah, actually. <laughs> yeah, all right, okay. Yeah. I'm on board with this now. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of here really for cute. that line. Yeah, like I'm kind of here for that as a line. That clanging sound, is that his dick hitting her chastity belt or his sword? Mm, that's such a good question. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think we might be experiencing the dick sword elision again. Oh, okay, okay. Like I think it's, sort of both okay it would be a really generous reading to think a dick could make that noise that's why i think i think it's sort of both right like i think it's literally supposed to be the sword but it's supposed to evoke metaphorically okay all right yeah okay that would that's my reading of it good translation yes (laughs) oh god if it tore you it would be (laughs) terrific that was so dumb this is the kind of lowbrow bullshit that i'm here for from mel brooks like i love that shit 
Yeah, no, it's like, it's so dumb. But like, I laughed a bit. And I, I like this whole scene because it really like is a shortcut for these two, Robin and Marion, of having any real connection. All okay, that happens yeah. is like, they almost kiss and then he sings. And it's like, okay, they're in love. Perfect. Like, it's such right. good movie shorthand that you don't yeah. even realize until your 25th viewing of it. They're like, wait. They've met twice. What the fuck is happening? But it's also like, it's ridiculous, but it's actually not any more ridiculous than Prince of Thieves. Of course. God, that Marion character really, ugh. And I hated that movie. And that's actually the good thing about the Disney Prince of Thieves is that it's not mostly in the movie, but we know the that Disney they- Disney Robin Hood? Yeah, but we know that they knew each other before, right? And there's all this, like, that both mm. of them are like, they've known mm-hmm. each other for years and they haven't seen each other for a long time, but they've still been kind of thinking mm-hmm. about each other. Mm-hmm. So, like, you don't actually have that to, like, tracks. do all the work, but, like, they- yeah knew each other in the past and like had this like kind of like maybe we're gonna end up together thing like add one line of dialogue of oh we grew up together also speaking of prince of thieves this is a thing i was obsessed with Mm -hmm. and when you told me that the prince of thieves was like all hinging on kevin costner robin hood in that movie was so clearly written for like a 25 year old kid yes because all they do is talk about how boyish he is (laughs) and oh you finally grown up he's 40 years old (laughs) They make me such weird, such weird choices, such weird choices. And like that, like when you, because we were texting a little bit while I was watching it, and when you said like, yeah, this was like a Kevin Costner joint, I was like, there's no fucking way they wrote this for Kevin Costner. That's that's insanity. It's so weird. Well, and the other thing I I text you, this is probably interesting podcasting when I talk about our text conversations, is when... When he's talking to Marion and he's like, she's like, what do you want in your future? And he's like, I don't know, maybe kids someday. And I'm like, sir, you'd be a grandfather by now. You're 40 years old. Like, I know the whole thing about, like, life expectancy is artificially shortened because so many people died when they were young. So, like, people did live into their 60s and 70s and 80s, right? Like, but just the prospect of in medieval times, a man who is 40 years old, is talking like, maybe I'll fall in love and have children one day. Like, no, you had that conversation when you were 15, sir. Right, because it's also like, okay, so men do tend to get married somewhat later than women, but especially when you're Mm -hmm. talking about the nobility, like, it wouldn't Mm -hmm. be that late. Like, he's somebody who, in reality, he would have had a fucking arranged marriage made for him at least 10 years ago. If not, which honestly, later, not that would be a better that would be a better subplot if Robin and, Hood and Maid Marian had an arranged marriage, but they didn't like each other and then, or like oh, didn't my, really like, know each other well, yeah. right? Yeah, there are storytelling methods to make that sh- that movie not terrible. Like it, it's so many forced errors in that, yeah, unforced errors in that movie. Uh, okay, yeah, sorry, this movie, the thing that you brought me on to talk about. Yeah, so. <laughs> They go to the archery tournament because, of course, Robin is successfully lured. Robin's men arrive dressed as women, which is a reference to the Disney Robin Hood. Yes. Is that the first time that was... I believe so, yes. Okay. I actually didn't connect until just now. Yeah, you're right. A lot of the jokes in there are pretty cringy. The one that I will say I really like is when somebody says to Blinken, fix your boobs, you look like a bleeding Picasso. I cracked the fuck that up. That is such a good joke. Right? Like, Honestly, that's such a good art joke. I feel like the <laughs> moment I understood who Picasso was as a child is the time I got a lot more jokes because there's this. Oh, yeah. There's the one from Toy Story when mm. um, Mr. Potato Head rearranges his features and goes, I'm a Picasso. And yeah. I was like, again, as a child, laughed because it was the intonation of a joke and I understand when I'm supposed to laugh. But right. Like, Oh, yeah, that's a really good joke. Yeah, no, it's it's solid. It works. I think 
And this is another improvised line, is the he looks like Mark Twain might be my favorite line in this entire That's movie. also very good. He looks like, like Mark like, like, like old man, yeah. The delivery is, of it is amazing. Yeah. Just that observation, like Mark Twain is not like, I don't know, he's not a figure that you'd be like, oh, that guy looks like Mark Twain. Like that's just <laughs> not, not a thing somebody would come up with. So the fact that he improvised, he looks like Mark Twain, I think is hysterically funny. And I also love the, like, I mean, it has such a combination, right, of these, like, very low jokes, but also these, like, fairly, like, kind of highbrow jokes, right? Like, we've got, like, a literature, a joke, and an art joke, like, right in the scene. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why I, in my opinion, I know a lot of people don't really like Mel Brooks, because he's very, very broad in his comedy, but I think there's enough of these little, like, smart jokes buried in, whether that's a Mel Brooks joke or, like, he just is good at casting people who right. get what he's doing. Oh, God, I love this fucking movie so much, Sarah. Uh, I'm yeah. so glad you asked me to watch it. <laughs> Robin looks uh, like he's about to lose, and mm-hmm. then we have what is a great moment of fourth wall breaking, where he's like, I'm not supposed to lose, and Alan calls for the script, which I love. I love this. Okay, I love the concept. The part I don't like is when the prince and the sheriff like open their things and go yes yes he does, oh, he I, does. I, I don't that. oh i don't like that they do it like synchronized i wish they mm. both just mumbled i don't know i'm giving comedy joke comedy notes to fucking mel brooks <laughs> but like but yeah the i'm not supposed to lose is such a good yeah. send up yeah and so i i liked that and yeah and i liked in general the like the fourth wall breaking and the like everybody breaking out their script like i i'm, I'm fond of that and the fact that they're bound in leather mm-hmm. it's a dumb joke that he obviously worked very hard on. right like <laughs> that like those props were made yeah the fact that like i didn't notice until this time like oh they're bound in leather as right they yeah were medieval like cause, and that's a fun like it's breaking the fourth wall kind of yeah because it's acknowledging they have scripts but also in this like weird fiction they've created this script like they're actually in medieval times right yeah yeah (laughs) robin realizes he gets one more shot he shoots Uh, the like trick arrow mike and i were talking about this a little bit patriot missiles are such a fucked up thing that we have that they're called patriot missiles and so Mm -hmm. therefore that kind of grossness trickles into this but like yeah the arrow weaving around is like it's great. It's good stuff. It's great. Right, like goes under all the people in the crowds. They like get up and they and, do, like, the do the wave. It's it's good stupid stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah, and then Lincoln does the arrow grab. Heard that right. from a mile away. This is another one that Mel Brooks legit explained to the viewer. He was like, "Yeah, because he heard the he heard the arrow coming, but then and he heard that, but he couldn't hear Robin Hood, who's right next to him." Like he explained <laughs> this joke, and which like of all the jokes he could have explained, I this know, one was right? like, like we, "No, no, no, Mel, we, but we got it, buddy." We're, we're there. We're Figured there with you. Rottingham calls for Robin's arrest, and Marion promises that in return for his life, she'll do the most disgusting thing that she can think of, which is that she will marry him. I shall marry you. I love her, like, weird, posh accent that I reminds know, right? me of, like, Queen silly. Elizabeth in the crown of just, like, so heightened to the point of absurdity. Right. And Ugh. we have, like, you know, where she's then like, but only my body, not my heart, mind, or soul, to which Rottingham's like, yeah, no, that's fine. Uh, originally apparently they did that joke twice the original line was supposed to be who gives a shit (laughs) and so he says i respect that which is interesting which is a funny weird choice i liked it yeah and i'm really glad that you have this this quote pulled tonight we're gonna have a wedding or hanging either way we're gonna have a lot of fun huh Uh, (laughs) it's good it's good it's just good 
This is good stuff. God, the fox. Right. They try to reach out to the villagers uh, via a fox for, you know, fox is, you know, fox versus fax. And also then it says 12th century fox on the, on the sign. Pretty good stuff. Also, Pretty apparently good. Mel Brooks thought it was a, like an out fox you joke as well, according yeah. to his commentary. That one, that one didn't occur to me. But yeah, it's, it's nope, multi, me neither. It's multi-layered. Yes. And okay, speak, speaking of like lowbro humor, the fox making a dolphin noise, fucking hysterical. Right, it's great. It's great. Great. Great stuff. So stupid. That's good. We do have, of course, the again, like tights. Tights are ladies things because the men also uh-huh. enthusiastically say, let's get out of our this ladies' this- clothing and into our tights. Yeah. It's, is the joke on toxic masculinity or is the joke toxic masculinity right it's like i don't know nobody knows and like that's the that's the issue with a lot of this kind of humor right is that like you don't know this is the bean dad problem right right that's oh my god i was literally exactly (laughs) thinking about bean dad of like the thing with these kinds of jokes is like are you punching up or down right and are you the appropriate person to be making this joke exactly and i don't know because i i think in my heart i just think mel brooks is like a good guy and so i right. but like but that's also very naive of me to think that good people can't have bad choices or make bad jokes or be a product right. of their time or whatever it's me being defensive of mel brooks Ooh, right and i will say like okay like i'm more willing to extend goodwill to mel brooks because i have no particular like i there's nothing that i happen to know about mel brooks that right. makes me think that he is not a perfectly nice man right yes but like that doesn't mean he's beyond criticism yes and and i think like while it's not an excuse to be hateful like you have to take things in context of their time when like the 90s loved gay jokes and like it just did you know it's and it sucks because you're Mm -hmm. essentially throwing an entire community under the bus right right because it was the 90s we didn't know gay people were real i don't know (sighs) okay Right. Oh my god, the executioner. So this is the same guy who plays the executioner in Blazing Saddles. Right. When he hangs a man on his horse, which I think is extremely funny also. (laughs) But his delivery, like he's on screen for 30 seconds, maybe. Mm -hmm. But just his whole, and he plays the exact same character as he did in Blazing Saddles. But there's this bit that he does, like, oh, what are you, 16, 16 and a half? And then he like puts the noose and goes... <laughs> and that makes me laugh so fucking it's hard because he's funny. just straight up making fun of this guy to his face. Like, ah, you're going like, to die soon. die. And then Robin's like, it's a little tight. And he's like, well, that's the idea. That's the idea. Oh, God. Or do you want to blindfold? Have about half of one? Just all good shit. All good, stupid jokes. The wedding begins and Robin is strung up to be hanged just in case Marianne changes her mind. Mm-hmm. Okay, there is a man. He is constantly referred to as an abbot. The way he is dressed, uh-huh. he is clearly a bishop. This really bothers me. Okay, but if we cared about that, we wouldn't get the great joke, Hey, abbot! So. <laughs> Which is probably why it's there, yes. And like that's, that is probably that's why, why he is an abbot. So anyway, but yes, but I'm just like, but look at him, he's like and his, bishop. And his delivery of, I hate that guy, is excellent. It's right? so good. <laughs> good morrow, abbot. He begins the wedding in the new Latin, which is Pig Latin. And it's like, you know, at least I don't have to bitch about the Latin. But you know what? It's a good joke. It's a good joke. It's stupid. It's so stupid. It's, it's so, so stupid. deeply and irresponsibly stupid, but it's great. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, all right. Um, I'm, I'm here for it. It's, it's dumb, but I'm here for it. <laughs> I really like the part when he's marrying them and she does. He's like, do you take whatever? And she goes, I do not. 
so fucking dumb. Yeah. Love it, though. Love it, love it. Yes. She's so funny in this movie. And she's good, yeah. And she does that as the merry men come in and, like, free Robert or, like, free Robert, Exactly. Yeah. I think the other thing I like about this is that Mel Brooks gives his female, like, while the female characters are few and far between, mm-hmm. he gives them shit to do. They're not just, yeah. like, props that the, the movie kind of revolves around. She has a great bit when he's singing to her, and it's, like, blowing in her face and she's like she's doing she does very broad comedy which i feel mm-hmm. like beautiful women do not get to do right i love this movie. Yeah. okay so Rottingham drags marion off oh, yeah. to the tower while the villagers are joining the fight and mm-hmm. Rottingham is then stymied by the chastity belt which is also a bra a chastity bra yes obviously obviously and breaks out a jackhammer this feels like kind of an uncomfortable rape joke yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you're right i will say that Apparently, the, I don't know why I cannot remember this woman's name. I like her so much. Amy yes. Yazbek. Yeah. Apparently, he, Mel Brooks gave her the line, like, no matter what you do, I'll never submit. And she was the one who improvised doing, like, because she was being jackhammered. Right. And she's the one who imp- improvised doing, like, meh. Like, that was her bit. I don't know. Wanted to give her credit for that dumb joke. Which is um, good. Physi- yeah. Like, and that's, yeah, and that's good physical comedy, right? Like, which, mm-hmm, again, like, mm-hmm. all, like women don't get to do a lot of physical comedy. Mm-hmm, especially mm-hmm, attractive, mm-hmm. like, conventionally attractive women. Of course. Uh, you know, and, like, again, like, she's doing a very good performance. Like, that's not where the fault is, but it is just a but little, it's... like... Because, again, it's, like, the, like it, you know, it's the same as, like, the sword penis. Like, the jackhammer is also really, like, metaphorically the penis. And uh-huh, so it's, like... Yeah. It's it, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, for sure. But Robin arrives, and I was like, uh-huh. prepare for the fight scene... Which again, well, like well, I love that sort of joke. Fourth wall jokes are always yeah, funny to me. They're always good. <laughs> and also, this is I like this little fight scene. I, I think the thing about yeah. this about this movie and the reason it works, and I think I'm probably reiterating what, something I said earlier, which is great because we're not running over time or anything. But they take a very silly movie seriously. Like yeah. they brought in a like legit swordsman to like choreograph all of this and it's actually you yeah. know the part when they accidentally stab somebody's bagel or something yes. like that he's in the window that's the swordsman that's the the, the fight choreography oh nice that's mm-hmm. cool yeah so it's an interesting scene in that yeah like the choreography is very good and it's done in such a way that like it like the length of the fight scene makes sense despite the fact mm. that at no point does Rottingham actually look like he's very good no he does one like thrust that looks really dope mm-hmm. just because he hits that like very like fencing move thing. right but I mean to me like it's all about Carrie Elwes in this like he's yeah, so yeah. nimble and lovely in this yeah. and like the stupid Perry Perry thrust thrust joke great right great and like, stuff and great Rodicam being not good is also like, like I mean in a choreographed way right that he's like comedically right. not good like I think the actor right. is doing an excellent job in the scene Yes, he comes off very frantic, which is, yeah. I think, a fun way to to show fights is one person, like, yeah. frantic and slashing, and the other person's very cool and calm. And mm-hmm. I think that's a fun a fun yeah. way to do a fight scene. Yeah, it works. It's a good scene. During the fight, Rottingham breaks Robin's medallion, revealing a mm-hmm. key that then fits perfectly into Marion's chastity belt. Apparently, also, that thing was full of glitter because it explodes <laughs> like a like a glass statue it just shatters right and fits perfectly and she says that he must be her true love because it's just the right size to which Rottingham protests it's not the size that counts it's how you use it if that was the first time that joke was made great it was not it was not um, no when this scene was happening Mel Brooks goes here comes our $10,000 special effects sequence <laughs> 
of just the key, like right, the thing yeah. exploding, the key like floating into her chastity belt, like perfectly lands, right? So funny. Robin stabs Rottingham, who at first is like, it's not so bad, but then sees that the sword has gone all of the way through his body. Another improvised line. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, it's good. It's a good line. That's another thing, like, as a kid, that to me was peak funny of like, it's not so yeah. bad. I was wrong. Oh, so funny. I mimicked that all the time. Right. Which is also like, it's also very Monty Python, right? It's very like the Just a Flash mm-hmm. Moon scene. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. The train arrives and promises Rottingham a magic pill if he will agree to marry her. Which is a peppermint lifesaver, by the way. (laughs) It's a mint lifesaver. Amazing. Like, legit. (laughs) Mint lifesavers are lifesaving. And I know I literally just got that as I said that. That that is obviously probably why it was a lifesaver. Just fucking got that. Just got that. (laughs) Sarah, I thought you were doing a bit. Nope, just got that in real fucking time. Was not doing a bit. I was just like, cool, I love lifesavers. Oh, that's so funny. She takes the pill, he is completely cured, and she asks him how he feels, to which he responds, good, surprisingly good, and yet somehow incredibly depressed. Because he has to marry an ugly person. Can you imagine anything worse? Awful. And yeah. she drags him off, exulting, I always wanted to marry a cop. Apparently the, they did that scene twice, and she did, the first time she did copper, because mm. she's British, and the second time she right. did cop. I think they made the right choice in that I don't think 80% of Americans would have known what copper meant. Yeah, I think you're right. And I, yes, yeah. I, I think you're you're 100% right. Yeah, and while he is protesting that he has changed his mind. Uh-huh. Because, again, the worst thing is to have to have sex with a not-conventionally attractive woman. Can you imagine anything worse? So awful. (laughs) Robin and Marion confess their love and are on the verge of consummating their relationship when Brunhilde arrives to insist that they have to get married. To which they basically, Mm -hmm. like, shrug and say, like, yeah, all right, fuck it, why not? Or else I blew it. Yep. Yep. Right. Yep, yep, yep. Look, she's taking her responsibilities very seriously. Yeah. Before you do it, you must go through it or else Mm -hmm. I blew it. Mm-hmm. She's about this for a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is this is her job. Like this is literally basically most of her job, right? According yeah, to the exactly. movie, right? Is to like make sure Marion <laughs> doesn't have sex. <laughs> they go and find Rabbi Tuckman uh-huh. so they can marry in a hurry. Mm-hmm. And right before they say their vows, Richard arrives and objects. Mm-hmm. He then he punishes John, including uh, that he will give his name to all the toilets in the kingdom. Yeah, his reaction when Richard shows up, his like sinking into his throne is very good. It's a very good Yes, He does this brilliantly. He also sends him off to the Tower of London and also adds that he can make him part of the tour. Part of the tour. Which is a great Great. anachronistic joke. Very good. And I also love Patrick Stewart is just absolutely mocking Sean Connery's accent here. (laughs) So Richard Liner, we've already discussed, would not be Scottish. Is there any... So is it literally just Sean Connery either didn't want to or couldn't do a different accent? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I don't know if they didn't ask him or if they asked him and he didn't want to or he couldn't. Anyways, Patrick Stewart, after dubbing Robin at night, says that the reason he objected is because he has not yet kissed the bride, which he describes as a custom in my royal right, and then makes out with her. Is this a prima nocta joke? Yes, and that's not a real fucking thing. It's a fucking myth. And I, oh my God, I have, I, I, I get very mad about this all the time. Prima nocta isn't real? No, hmm. it was made up in like the 15th century. Huh, for what purpose? Like at what, what so were like, they trying to accomplish? Basically to be like the Lord's suck. Oh, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, 
but yeah, but so like that is absolutely a myth and it gets perpetuated in so many films and also like so much just popular culture in general and it drives yeah. me absolutely fucking nuts. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm gonna, you know what, Sarah, it is now my mission to spread Thank far you. and wide. Thank you. It's not a real thing. And it's made by bitter peasants. I guess that's not a great narrative now that I'm thinking about it. I don't think I need to, <laughs> to villainize medieval peasants right now. Okay, so my theory is that I think the reason... So, like, there's obviously, like, the myth that had its utility at a particular point in time when it was first created. But in terms of, like, why these myths have staying power, my theory is that there are a fuck ton of myths about how women had zero rights or agency and were just, like, being raped constantly in the Middle Ages. And kind of traded around, like, like bargaining chips, yeah. As a way to essentially be, like, things now are better, right? Which, like, there's a lot of, like, "Hmm, are they, though? Right. And there's, like, all of these, (laughs) like, so, like, with Game of Thrones, it's all, like, well, I have to display rape because otherwise it's not realistic. Like, fuck, you can say that about every single movie that takes place in a fucking college campus in the United States. So, like, fuck off. Yeah. And, like, I don't think there's necessarily a good... Like, I don't think there's necessarily evidence to say that, like, rape was more common in the Middle Ages than it is today. Yeah, and it's interesting because the way it's portrayed, like, I've been watching Outlander, so they have a lot of those things of, like, it just happens flagrantly and there's no real repercussions or or room for women to, to do anything. But, like, yeah, that super hasn't changed. Right, and also, like, women have at like it depends on the exact time and place but it's also like again this is like my pet peeves like women in like the u.s in the 1950s right couldn't like own a credit card in their like have a credit card in their own name or like buy property Mm -hmm. in their own name they Mm -hmm. could i mean not a credit card because credit cards weren't a thing but like they could take out loans and buy property in their own name in catalonia in the fucking like 14th century so what you're saying is women have been treated like shit through the decades a they have through the centuries yeah a that and b progress on women's rights is not linear right like there's absolutely yeah like so you know there are certain ways in which like women had certain options available to them in the 14th century that they didn't in, like, Mm -hmm. parts of the 20th. I mean, yeah, I I think the most recent Little Women did a great Mm -hmm. scene on this with with Florence Florence Pugh? Yes. Which, first of all, I fucking love that movie. But, like, just that monologue she does of, like, my money isn't mine, my property isn't mine, if I have children, they're my husband. Like, it's just, she's... Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, it's great. It's great stuff. They make out it is uncomfortable, to which uh, Tuckman also says it's good to be the king, which is, of course, a History of the World Part 1 referent. Mm-hmm. The marriage then continues. Achu is appointed sheriff, uh, to which there's a kind mm-hmm. of like a black sheriff. And then he says it works in, it worked in blazing saddles. So mm-hmm. we've got another yep. Mel Brooks reference uh, he, coming right here. <laughs> he does talk a lot about how he references. Like he, Mikey and I were talking a lot about how like, ha- can any director besides Mel Brooks get away with doing the same joke in basically every movie like he has and he even said like every Mel Brooks movie has a walk this way joke right that's just what they do (laughs) he just made this whole bit in this commentary of like see you always gotta be selling just good news just a funny joke I made (laughs) oh my god what a fucking doll he is Okay. He's charming. And the couple ride off on a just married horse. I don't have any horse expertise to lend there. There is a finishing wrap. Mm-hmm. And in the post credit sequence, we learn that the key is insufficient. I guess it's like rusted through or something. Is that what I always thought the joke was it's not the real key or it's not the right key. 
That was always what I That's thought. That's also very impossible. Like, yeah. So then they say they have to call a locksmith. Call a locksmith. <laughs> uh-huh. And then they do a 25 minute pullout where they go from that castle to all of England. <laughs> like <laughs> a space. It's such a fun pullback shot. And actually, so pullback shots are a good lead into the beginning of the Vera at Falsa section. Yay. I, we talked about something I got written wrong. Where Yay. I have to, and we talked about a couple of these things, but we've got more. Because <laughs> I need to start by talking about the map at the beginning. Yes. Okay, Mel Brooks did make a goof that, like, that was a joke, but I did not understand. I was like, I don't know if it's was. a joke or he just didn't pay attention or whatever it was. But, like, okay, they go by the Ottoman Empire. The Ottoman Empire doesn't exist until the, fuck, 14th century? Certainly not in the late 20s. Oh my god, don't fucking look at me, Jesus. <laughs> Christ, Christ, if you don't I can't remember the exact date. I think it's early 14th. But anyway, okay. so it's certainly not in the 12th. The Ottoman Empire doesn't exist. They have like Grecia, so Greece, which is weird because like it's this whole bit that should be like the Byzantine Empire that we're kind of ignoring because that's an actual mm-hmm. polity that exists at this time, uh, or they actually would have called it just the Roman Empire, but I would have taken the Byzantine Empire. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> and then also goes past like what they refer to as Italia and Espana, despite mm-hmm. the fact that neither Italy nor Spain are meaningful political entities at this point, right? Like they're both broken up into a bunch of other kingdoms. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then, weirdly, it labels France as Gaul, despite the fact that France is actually a meaningful entity, although, like, chunks of France are actually part of England. Does Gaul mean anything? That's the Roman name for France. Basically. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. But, like, in, like, an mm-hmm. earlier period, that would be the correct term. So it's, like, this right. weird, like, Gaul, which is too early, and then all these other things, which are much too late. Mm-hmm. Okay. I-, I love getting grumpy about maps. It's great stuff. Also incorrect that Blinken tells Robin his brothers died in the plague. There would not be a plague mm-hmm. epidemic in England until 1348. This is 12th century? This would be, let's say for the sake of argument, takes place in like 1194. Oh, okay. So way off. That's the year Richard gets back to England. So I'm just going to use that as, and also that's the year Prince of Thieves explicitly takes place. So I'm going to use that as the year for the sake of argument. Accurate though, poaching. Poaching is a pretty common offense because royal Mm -hmm. forests covered a lot of land in England. And so if you were starving, you would illegally poach in the royal forest. But it's like, so it's Uh a crime to kill the king's deer. Uh But a lot of people do it anyway because they want to not starve. Sure. But the penalty could include death. Ironically. Yeah. Which is interestingly like a thing that still, like obviously poaching happens in like forest reserves or whatever but like like in I used to live in Montana and like mm-hmm. a person I worked for owned thousands of acres and right. would like give away permission to hunt on his land right and this is very much that right that like it's like the king's land and that there will be certain people who are like members of the nobility who get permission to hunt on the king's land but that if you're like Mm -hmm. random peasant you don't get to do that right of course but yeah of course some people took the risk anyway and like part of it is that like there's local law enforcement who basically are like yeah if you give me a cut of it then i'm not gonna get you in trouble wait are you saying that cops were shady in medieval times right thank god we have that cleared up huh continuity (laughs) (laughs) changing shithouse to latrine in the ninth century i'm going to quibble with (laughs) this joke i'm so sorry you okay okay so okay latrine is kind of french sounding right Mm-hmm. I think that if you were going to have a change from a more English-sounding to French-sounding name, that would have not been in the 9th century, which is pre-Norman Conquest. I think it would have been post-Norman Conquest, which is 1066. Oh. 
So I think the name change should have been at the 11th century. So the fact that she I'm said it was the 9th asshole. century, yes. but the fact that she said the 9th century is what ruins it. Like if yes. she had just said we'd change it five years ago or 10 years ago. Yeah. Huh. Wow. If she said we change it in 1066, I would have given them so many fucking props. <laughs> <laughs> he really wrote himself into a corner by being I know, right? like, specific. <laughs> I will say some of the food stuff. Okay. Okay. Getting close to okay, at least. So we have the exotic foods from across the seas. Yeah, he name-checked coconuts. Coconuts. Yeah. So coconuts grew in the grew in the Maldives and India. Mm-hmm. While the 12th century is maybe a little early, it is the case, and somebody has written an entire article about this because of the coconut bit in Monty Python, it is in fact mm. the case that by at least the 14th century, there are coconuts being traded to England, and that they are used for both medicinal purposes and that there are ornamental cups named out of them. It's funny that god this is about to be boring it's funny that coconuts were such a popular food because they were so hard to access right i kind of like that they like made fucking cups out of them right that they're like this yeah. like weird husk like we got to do something with this shit but i guess it tracks that like those are probably easy to transport because they're yeah just, like, exactly Mm-hmm. And that's why actually coconuts arguably make more sense than the bananas. Uh, also, just very quickly, the coconut would have been probably referred to in this period as the great nut. Is that what coconut translates to? Uh, no, it, it's not like a translation. It's just like that's what they called oh, it. Just it's what just what they called the it. The great nut. <laughs> bananas. They would have like known they existed at least by at some point in the Middle Ages, but like they're not like they're actually harder to transport without them going bad than a coconut. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, they would have been pretty rare in England. They were quite popular in the Islamic Middle East. So a crusader certainly might have encountered bananas at some point. And fun fact, the traveler John Mandeville referred to them as long apples. I love that. And that's what I'm going to call them from now on. Right? Dates. Dates are cultivated in Asia, Africa, in the Iberian Peninsula, so what's now Spain, Mm -hmm. and are very popular in medieval recipes dating to the 14th century. So I would say that's probably the fruit that would have been like the best known. Like dates, they they Mm -hmm. liked dates. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, they're expensive, so probably accessible mostly to members of the nobility, but that's who we're talking about here. So I'll, I'll buy the dates. Sure. In particular, yeah. wild boar, he catched the wild boar. Wild boar was popular for both hunting for sport and also the boars were then eaten. And wild boar and dates was considered a great combination. Oh, interesting. They really liked meat and fruit. Yeah, I think sweet and sweet and salty, sweet and savory, that yeah. works. Yeah, like yeah, they're very into like, yeah, like sweet and savory combinations were very popular in medieval cooking. Right now, this is going to be the bougiest thing right now. My special treat has been goat cheese cheese and prosciutto oh, that so good. like i know it's up there and that sounds good mm-hmm. however there are peanuts served <laughs> at the archery tournament and sadly they would have not yet known of the existence of the peanut as the peanut is south american if we're all just going to be pedantic in this podcast <laughs> apparently the <laughs> guy who's course. selling the peanuts is the actual guy from Dodgers Stadium who is like famous? That for is fucking being adorable guy. Yeah, like I, I don't know how big a sports fan you are, but like I'm a, I'm a big Cubs fan, and there is one guy who I don't know his name. I could pick him out of a crowd easily, and I know his mm-hmm. voice. He is a guy who sells souvenirs, mm-hmm. so like foam bear claws or whatever at, at Cubs games and I think it's a similar thing of like mm-hmm. everybody knows who that guy is because yeah. he's the one souvenir guy I think right. this guy is is a similar thing that's of like he's charming. a staple of, of, of the Dodgers that's very so. charming I like that mm-hmm. yeah it's yeah. cute Rabbi Tuckman I am going to make the argument that Rabbi okay. Tuckman is a more accurate choice than the traditional choice by which a Friar Tuck? Tuck is a Franciscan friar. This okay. is because the Franciscan order does not exist until the year 1209, 
which is 15 years after this movie takes place. Huh. And I am a pedantic asshole, as we've established. Yeah, yeah. established. But despite that, they always, always, always portray Friar Tuck as a Franciscan friar in the late 12th century. Is the Franciscan tw- friar the one with the, like, they shave the middle of their head? Is that the Franciscan deal? Uh, that's more general. So pretty much, so most oh, monastic okay. orders would have that. It's that, okay. uh, it's very specifically like the kind of like rough, like kind of brown robes, the like the brown robes in particular. Sure. That's sure, very sure, much sure. a Franciscan thing. Mm-hmm. And also like the term friar. So like monks, like monks would not all use the term friar. There's only a couple of specific orders that use the term friar. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Franciscan friars are anachronistic. Mm-hmm. Jews are not. There would have been rabbis in England in the late 12th century. So what would that look like for a rabbi? Like, what is the goal of a rabbi? Is it to convert people or is it just no. to lead the Jews who are No, there? it's to, yes, yeah, to lead the Jewish community. Because in fact, you definitely do not okay. want to convert people, arguably, because if you convert It's from a closed Christi- religion. I've learned that recently. <laughs> if you, like, if you convert from Christianity to Judaism, like, you can be executed. That's actually more what the problem is. Like, it's actually interesting. Like, Judaism has all of these, like, anti-proselytism stuff. But that is actually uh-huh. arguably something that developed in Judaism in response to the fact that they weren't allowed to proselytize. Interesting. Yeah. In the pre-Christian Roman period, Spock, who was it? Horace, I think, one of the like Roman poets, literally has this like joke in one of his poems where he's like, aha, like those proselytizing Jews. Classic humor. Right? <laughs> the earliest <laughs> bad Jewish joke. Quite um, a zinger. <laughs> where he's like, you, you'll go around bothering people like those proselytizing Jews. Thanks, Horace. <sighs> but like in this period, is that like, it's that basically like if you are a Christian and you convert to Judaism, like that is from the perspective of this being a Christian country like that is an executable offense okay and if you are found as the Jewish community to have knowingly harbored a person who was a convert or encouraged this you also could Mm -hmm. be executed okay it's heavy stuff but yeah there is a Jewish community in England which dates back to the Norman conquest so Rabbi Tuckman isn't at least an improvement of the Franciscans in that at least like there are Jews and therefore like some of whom are rabbis leading the who are leaders in the local Jewish community But of course, like the way he is involved with Christians, including like marrying Christians, like that's a big no. Yeah, obviously. Yes. (laughs) And of course, like that combined with the fact that like John is like casually, like culturally Jewish. Oh, oh, I gotcha. Okay. okay, okay, Uh, Right? Yeah, that like he like. It took me a second to put those things together. Yes. So yeah, we have like John Lewis is a Jewish actor and he's like making all, and he's he's got like the trait comment, right? And so it's, we have like this Mm -hmm. weird like culturally Jewish English king. Mm-hmm. And so there is obviously like a weird dynamic that elides the real and like socially meaningful differences between Christians and Jews, notably the fact that Jews are like a subordinated minority who don't have the same legal status fundamentally as Christians. Sure. Mm-hmm. We're, we're definitely ignoring that one. But you know, at least like a <laughs> rabbi in 12th century England is a thing that happened. As opposed to a Franciscan no. friar. And I want to be clear, the hair curls aren't traditionally attached to the hat. Is that what I'm that is, understanding that about correct. friar? Yes, they, are, they, okay. are not, okay. they are not attached to the hat, mm, no. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, okay, thank you. Yeah, and I will say also, like, so his whole getup is also very, like, 17th century and beyond Eastern European. Yeah, I was going to say, like, he's a, he grew up in, uh, Milbrook's grew up in Brooklyn. And so yeah, I, yeah. to me, like, that is very much he's like a, Yeah, he's like a Brooklyn Orthodox Jew and the Brooklyn Orthodox yeah. Jews dress like people in 18th century Poland. In all seriousness, yep. like, that's what their outfit yep. is. It's like, their outfit is like what people just wore in the eight, in 18th century Poland. And it's like not actually I mean, religiously significant for the most part. I mean, listen, when you find an outfit that works, you just <laughs> stick with it. Right. 
So there have been a lot of things that we've talked about that got right and got wrong, but now I'm going to highlight one additional thing that it gets into that is a big myth about the Middle Ages that shows up here, which is the Historia at Veritas section will be talking about chastity belts. Yay! So thank goodness the chastity belt is like not a fucking real thing. I'm genuinely so relieved to hear that. Right? That's... Very good news. It's like real fucking gross, right? Like, how many times have you learned something new about history and you're like, oh, thank God, it's better than I thought it <laughs> I would know, be? Right? Like, it's right? so rare that you get I this know. treat. It's great. First of all, I will say so there are a couple of examples of like physical chastity belts that exist in museums. The mm-hmm. authenticity of these is uh, pretty doubtful. Okay. And there is scholarship. And so, in particular, here I'm relying on a scholar named Albert Clausen, who actually has a whole book which is called The Medieval Chastity Belt a myth-making process. Wow. I'm putting it out on my Goodreads list. (laughs) It's like $60. Fuck you. (laughs) Fucking nerd selling your books for so much. It's really (laughs) annoying. If you want to scan a part of it, let me know. (laughs) But anyway, so, and he talks about, he actually also talks about these prima noctas in this too. And then like that is another big medieval myth. One of the things that he talks about is the fact that like, first of all, the authenticity of a lot of these physical objects that are presented as medieval chastity belts is pretty doubtful. Another big thing is that, yeah, there are no references in medieval texts or visual art that we can actually securely date to the oh, chastity sure. belt. The earliest that like that was talking about something in a literal sense would at the earliest be like the 15th century. Interesting. It's so funny just like the emotional thing I've had with chastity belts of going <laughs> from like, oh, haha, it's a punchline to, oh my God, this is like a really horrible thing we did to women to like, no, we made it up because real history about women wasn't bad enough. We're like, how can we make women's lives right? worse? Right. Let's find it. A lot of the medieval texts that have been used as evidence for the chastity belt are actually, if you sit down and read them, are very obviously metaphorical. So a lot of them are like religious um... texts that refer to a girdle of chastity. And if you read it, it's very clear that it basically is like telling women to like guard their chastity and like don't fuck men before you're married or if you're a nun ever. Which is honestly pretty good advice. <laughs> Don't fuck men ever. A hundred advice. A hundred and eight dollars on thriftbooks.com. <laughs> I got a copy for about 60. I mean, still. And so I just wanted to quickly read one example. And this is from a text by a medieval troubadour, Guillaume Machot. It's a 14th century text. And it does have this reference to a chastity belt. So it says that this, the beauty embraced me, putting her arm around my neck. And I embraced her with both my arms and around my neck placed her other. Then she took hold of a small key made from gold by a craftsman's hand, saying, carry this key with you, darling, and guard it well, for it's the key to my treasure. From this moment on, I make you its lord and master above all others. And this I love more than my right eye because it's my honor, my riches. With this, I can be generous. Your verses cannot diminish it, which instead only increases each day. And so it's kind of talking about this like key. a clearly metaphorical key. Right, yes. All these idiots were like, oh, a literal key? Great. I've never heard of metaphors. Right, it's like like a fucking like love poem. Like it's a fucking like love poem in a tradition that like has love poetry of varying degrees of raciness. And it's like, it's clearly a metaphor, right? Like, it's clearly not a literal fucking key to a literal fucking, like, metal belt over her vagina. Wow. (laughs) 
And so wow, that's true okay. of a ton of the references. This is super, cha- like, genuinely, this is, like, changing a lot of how I view yeah. history. I am so glad to have learned this. We get a lot more literary references that seem to be talking about a literal chastity belt in, like, the 15th century onward, and it's especially popular in the 17th century. But it's also mm-hmm. very, very clearly satire. It's, like, all sure. of these texts that are basically making fun of a cuckolded husbands by basically saying like haha this dumb jealous guy is making his wife wear this chastity belt but like jokes on you her maidservant has like the copy of the key and sure. she is gonna fuck somebody the second you leave like no matter what you do this girl's right. gonna fuck somebody else okay. right and it's like very much a satire on men's inability to actually yeah. control their wives chastity despite believing that they can okay so huh. even when you have these texts that are like referring to like that are talking about it in a story as if it's a real thing that does not mean that it's a real thing worn by like actual human women, which again, <laughs> there's still no evidence that it ever was. Wow. wow, wow, wow. And so it's part this myth that's kind of coming up as it like, so it's for this kind of story that's coming up in this sort of satirical context. And then it's again, one of these things that I think gets preserved because it fits with our notion of the Middle Ages as mm-hmm. barbaric and as particularly misogynist. And so of it course. maps onto all of our expectations. And so we assume that it's a real thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But also, like, I have to, like, also comment, how would this even work? How would she pee? What would happen Genuine... when she got her period? Okay, here's the thing. When I was 20 years old in fucking Scotland doing a ghost tour or whatever, uh-huh. that was a thing of, like, imagine, act like, the reality of wearing a chastity belt. Like, you would be disgusting and, like, you wouldn't be able to, like, proper hygiene would be impossible. And so since, like, fucking... 2006 I've Mm -hmm. been like yeah chastity belts you shouldn't joke about them there were like I have been up on my high horse for 20 years but yeah because it's like oh like just thinking about the logistics like you know of course either she's peeing on herself and like Mm -hmm. bleeding onto herself when she's menstruating or like she has and like pooping onto herself which is obviously disgusting. Or like she has to like call her husband every time she has to go to the bathroom. This is unrealistic. Like it makes no fucking sense. This woman is going to get a UTI and that's like best case scenario. Right. Like, yeah. So it doesn't even actually like make sense if you think about it as like a thing Mm -hmm. that like is feasible assuming you don't want your wife literally like urinating and defecating on herself. Yikes. And I feel like in a time when you didn't have fucking penicillin, you want to avoid infections when possible because that will kill you immediately. Right, Right. yeah, like, you would probably die if you were wearing this. And, like, so again, like, there is zero evidence this was actually, like, a thing that real human women were forced to wear. Which, thank God, because it is gross. God, and, like, I, I think that says so much about, like, how we learn history of, like, I heard a thing, it locked into my mm-hmm. understanding of medieval times, and so I didn't question it. And, like, I'm a skeptic by yeah. nature. I question everything. But this was, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw it in a museum yeah. on a ghost tour in Scotland. <laughs> it must be true. <laughs> I mean, especially if you are not, like, deeply embedded in this stuff, right? And, like, you assume of that, course. like, museums provide historically accurate information to some degree. 
And, like, I don't know, like, you don't necessarily assume that, like, movies are accurate. But, like, you, I don't know, maybe assume that they're, like, drawing on something. Sure. A lot of it is just, like, weird shit. And including, like, a lot of it is these myths, many of which go back to the early modern period, Mm -hmm. that people have preserved. And Mm -hmm. because, again, it maps onto how we see the Middle Ages. Ugh, this is so interesting. Like, I could talk for so long about the idea of, like, what did people understand to be true versus what did we apply to them because we Mm -hmm. assume they're misogynistic, ignorant, uneducated, etc. Yeah. Hmm. And, you know, and not that it's not a patriarchal society that has very severe penalties for adultery. Right. This was not a paradise for women. Let's not get into it. No, they're certainly not saying that, but it's not like there are these, like, extreme things that are completely invented. That are, like, punishing women just for being human women, which... Right. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm interested. So our next segment is where we come up with a film or show inspired by this one. As I, I have bitched many, many times about the fact that, okay, this movie, I actually, it actually, like, has Jews in it, which I always find it very annoying that Robin Hood, that, like, Jews are not part of the Robin Hood story, because a lot of the Robin Hood story is about the heavy burden of taxation that people in England are experiencing. Mm-hmm. Jews are, in fact, the people who are bearing a really disproportionate burden of that taxation, but they are generally not incorporated into the Robin Hood story. Mm-hmm. So this technically does have one Jew. And so, inspired by that... I'd say one and a half. One and a half, yeah. <laughs> With, like, Prince John. That's the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So, inspired by that, I would like to have a version of Robin and his merry men, and including, uh, we'll, we'll have her be made Miriam, who are all, in fact, <laughs> Jews, who are doing their little, like, rebellion against the disproportionate taxation of the Jewish community. This is a thing that did not happen and probably would not happen, but I think it would be a good, like, I don't know, dark comedy, maybe? I think it could work. I would watch that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Okay. All right. I have mine teed up. Okay. What I want is a Portrait of a Lady on Fire style mm-hmm. romance between the Broomhilda and the Maid Marian characters. Yes. So I really enjoy thinking about the companionship that we now, like, in modern America get from, like, our partner mm-hmm. that you would not have gotten. I mean, not always true, but, right, like, I, my husband and I are friends and friendly and spend time together. Right, that wasn't what marriage was supposed to be inherently. Exactly. So I like the idea of looking at women, I guess men, too, now that I think mm-hmm. about it, but my this movie that I'm writing is women looking for that intimacy, whether it's mm-hmm. physical or emotional or intellectual or a combination thereof, which I guess Portugal Lady on Fire sort of did this better than I could ever imagine doing. But but I like the idea of putting it in medieval in medieval times or like Robin Hoodish era of like what are these women's lives like and their relationships like among each other because mm-hmm. they they are their own little it's almost like a tiny little yeah. like cultish community among yeah. this larger larger community i want to watch that movie i think that'd be awesome i would also love to i'm really into lesbian love stories for some yeah. reason i just i love them lesbian love stories are great the last real section of this <laughs> podcast which we have gotten to after four hours of recording this is, is so embarrassing. <laughs> also, I've had so much fun. <laughs> this has been amazing. I have also had a great time. So the final <laughs> section is the estimatio or rating, where we talk about what we would rate this movie on a scale from one to five based on our own completely subjectively chosen set of criteria. I have to give this a five out of five. Okay. 
even in recognition of its myriad flaws, mm-hmm. which have have only become more prominent as the years go by. However, to me, just it, like I am being very privileged right now and saying like, mm-hmm. okay, aside from like the Loki homophobia and like shit like that. Yes, I see it and it's troubling. However, to me, this is the perfect send up of something Mm -hmm. because, and I said this at the beginning and I'll say it now, like Mel Brooks clearly loves the Robin Hood story. And further, he clearly loves making movies and he loves his performers. Like there is a joyousness to this movie that I like. And I think even though like, is there gay panic surrounding the men in tights thing? I don't know, probably. But it doesn't seem to be that, Mel Brooks is like taking aim at anyone mm-hmm. in particular. It doesn't feel like a cruel like right. I just really like it. I I think it's silly and light and mm-hmm. doesn't take itself too seriously except for like when it should. I, mm-hmm. I just think it's genuinely a very good satirical movie. It's not perfect. Mm-hmm. Of course, there are things that are troubling. And this is just me being extraordinarily subjective because this is yeah. a thing from my childhood that I find yeah. very comforting. Yeah. So that's that's what I will say about that. I need to go with a three out of five, which I recommend this movie. Like, I enjoyed mm-hmm. this movie. I like this movie. I'm basically, like, taking a couple points off. One for the fact that a lot of the jokes have really not aged well. Mm-hmm. And for the fact that, in general, it's like, I don't know. I Like, I ultimately, like, especially, like, with the chastity belt thing, I kind of feel like it's, like, doing this work, like, perpetuating this, like, myth that is mm-hmm. shitty about the Middle Ages. I mean, and it's that, yucky. Like, it's yeah. yucky. Yeah, and that, like, I don't know, I will say, like, the medieval comedies that I like best in some ways and have given the highest ratings are ones that I think are actually doing something interesting in terms of, like, undermining these, like, pretty fucked up myths that a lot of, like, we often have about the Middle Ages. Sure, that makes sense. I don't think this is ultimately doing that, and I understand that wasn't necessarily what he wanted to do, because, you know, he's he's not, you know, he's not a medievalist, like, I don't know, he doesn't have a dog in this fight. Yeah. But, you know, but, like, from the perspective of this podcast, I think this is, like, as a work of medievalism that is presenting a certain perspective in the Middle Ages, I don't know, it pretty much basically ultimately does, like, what is a sort of pretty standard one in many ways that I don't necessarily like. That's fair. I'm gonna give it a three based on that, but watch it of the many Robin Hoods I have covered on this podcast, this is one of the ones that I would actually say, yeah, sure, watch this. Yeah, absolutely. Ending matter. Jessica, where can people find you on the internet besides the four-hour extended version of this podcast? I cannot believe how long we've talked about this great bad movie. Um... You can follow me on Twitter. I actually just changed my Twitter name from an inside joke that I had with my best friend when I was 16 to my name. Uh, so you can follow me on Twitter at Jess Bloomke, uh, J-E-S-S-B-L-U-E-M-K-E. You can also, if you like me rambling, uh, I have a couple other podcasts where I do this. <laughs> Friendly Atheist is my banner podcast. I do it with Hammond Meta. It's a weekly discussion about news of the day as it relates to religion, feminism, all that fun stuff. Uh, so that is that comes out Fridays-ish. And then mm-hmm. uh, my husband and I are working our way through Twin Peaks, as I mentioned before. That might have been cut out. And one of the several hours that are on the cutting room floor of this... Um, But it's called Cooper Duper. It's a podcast about Twin Peaks, and we bill it as a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people. So the idea is, like, 
if you're not a Twin Peaks scholar, if you're not a huge David Lynch fan, this is us, like, helping you. It's literally (laughs) me being explained through the world of Twin Peaks. Um, (laughs) And it's honestly very, like, I have had so many two and a half hour, three hour recordings with my husband where I'm like, we need to stop because I have to edit this. But, like, it's this. It's talking about art in a way uh, and kind of where that conversation goes. It's something I'm really proud of and I have a lot of fun doing. Awesome. If you've enjoyed this podcast, uh, however many hours it was, please subscribe in your preferred podcaster app and read and review Media Evil on Apple Podcasts. I'll read new five-star reviews in future episodes. Please also follow the podcast on Twitter at Media Evil Pod and join the Facebook group. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah Ipdecker. And finally, if you have any questions or suggestions, I'd love to hear from you via email at media.evilpod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to Media Evil. I want to say, no, listen, before <laughs> okay. you go, I want to say that we're at four hours and seven minutes as we recorded. So however, however long you think this podcast is, it's longer. It was not. It is absolutely longer. Thank you so much, Jessica, for joining me for the last four hours to talk about this movie. I would literally do this Amazing. for the rest of Amazing. my life if you wanted. This was a blast. I had so much fun. Thank you Thank you, you so much for coming on. I would love to have you back. And <laughs> bye. And thank you all, all right, for listening thanks, to Media Evil. <laughs> We're men, family men, we're men in tights. Yes! We roam around the forest looking for fights. We're men, we're men in tights. We run from the rich and you in the poor, that's right. We may look like Don't get us wrong or else the